Welcome to Growing Up 80s, Episode 2. Tonight, we are talking about the Choose Your Own Adventure book, Inside UFO 5440, and the Atari 2600 video game, Cosmic Arc. When I was 11 years old, I got to fly on the Concorde from New York to Paris. About an hour and a half into the flight, I was looking out the window because my grandpa told me I might be able to see the brilliant white ice sheet of Greenland. Instead, I saw appear very suddenly a long, brilliant, white cylinder in the sky beside the plane. Couldn't tell you how big it was, but I had the sense it was many times larger than the jet we were in. It mesmerized me, and I stared for a few moments before I thought to tell my grandpa. But as soon as I took my eyes off of it, everything changed. My vision went totally white, not a blinding, bright white. It was a soft, matte white. It was intense, but at the same time, it was like darkness, like a white darkness. I couldn't hear anything, but again, it was different than hearing absolutely nothing. It was as if my ears were full of sound, but almost like a negative sound. It was the loudest silence I'd ever heard. Almost right away, I could sense the color of my surroundings change. It seemed as if I was watching a sunset through a cloud. Everything was still that white darkness, but there were hints of orange and purple and pink. And as I experienced those colors, I heard the quiet return from the absence of sound. I was half laying, half sitting on a thick round white mat in a white room, but it was no longer the white darkness. It was just a regular white room, almost like it was made out of plastic. I could see shadows in the corners and around me and the mattress. And the light was coming from three orbs floating in front of me. The orbs pulsed with intensity, but not in a very rapid manner. And they shone with the same sunset-like colors I saw moments earlier. And without a sound, I understood that I was inside the white cylinder that I saw flying beside the jet only a moment before. The orbs told me, as if they were speaking directly into my mind, that they were the yu Tai, and they had collected me as a specimen of life from Earth. I'd be safe with them forever, and that they would keep me with the other living creatures that they had collected from the entire galaxy. They were seeking a paradise, and somehow all the different life forms they had collected and were studying would allow them to find it. As they spoke, it all seemed reasonable, inevitable, like a good thing. But when they were done communicating, they floated towards the wall and passed through it, leaving me on my own. And at that point, my mind came back to me, and I was of two minds. Half of me was ready to scream and protest, You can't keep me. This is wrong. You must send me back home. And the other half of me knew that it was pointless. Any beings who were able to speak directly to my mind, pass through solid matter, and instantly bring me from my seat on a plane to their ship were far too powerful for me to resist. I had to choose my own destiny. Yell and fight the Utah, or use my wits and see if there was a way to escape on my own. Choose your own adventure books. We love them. Oh, man alive. Did I read a lot of them when I was a kid? Yes, you did. And I did, too. Oh, yeah. And I still have a, a I whack. suspect, even in back in the day, you had more than I did. Yeah, and sometime in the 90s, I found, like, the first 47... Oh, yeah. ...of them, or whatever, you yeah. know, and I've got them all consecutive. Yeah. And then various ones up to whatever, I don't know, oh, wow. 100 nice. and something... A few of them. That's cool. For our listeners who don't know what Choose Your Own Adventure books are, do you want to describe what they are? 
they are a non-linear fiction book mm. where instead of just reading from beginning to end, you get to choose periodically to you make a decision. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to go left, you turn to page 52. Yep. And if you choose to turn right, you turn to page 101 and continue your story from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they're game books. They are like game books, yeah. especially some other series besides Choose Your Adventure mm -hmm. introduced the element of dice yep. and additional game rules that made them like a solitary uh, role-playing game. Yeah, there were fighting mechanics and stuff like yeah, that, whereas like, Choose Your Own Adventure was simply, here's the story, it can have various branches to take you to different endings, and you get to kind of weave your way down the path um, based on your choices to one ending amongst many that's right and so they can still be called a game yeah in the sense that uh you feel like you have some sort of agency you're making choices mm -hmm. uh certainly more of a game than snakes and ladders or something like that yeah where you just roll the dice and you have that's what happens you have no decisions to make at mm, all Candyland. yeah yeah, Candyland is a zero choice game yeah also, just right? spin that thing and see yeah. where you end up and going do what it tells you yep yeah. Those shouldn't be called games. There's something different than games. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an aside. Yes. <laughs> so Choose Your Own Adventures came about in, um, might have even been like the late 60s or early 70s, when a fellow named Edward Packard um, had two young daughters, and he was uh, telling them stories at night. And he found, um, you know, he was making up these stories and, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. He kind of asked his daughters, what would you like to happen next in the story? Got two different answers from the two different daughters. So he told this part of the story and then he told that part of the story. And he found as the nights went on that, ooh, doggies. Wow. It's a fairly warm summer day here in Thunder Bay. It certainly is. And so we got the windows open. Yep. Bet you we're going to see somebody walk through the back lane soon with the dog. With those dogs. And all the neighbor dogs are just taking their turns <laughs> saying hello. Oh, yeah. Here they come now. Where was I? Something about dogs. <laughs> Edward Packard was telling his daughters bedtime oh, yeah. stories. Yeah, and he was telling the two his daughters were getting to choose. That's right. And so he said, well, he found that his daughters really enjoyed making the decisions for the stories and so he kind of continued over the nights and weeks and months telling the stories and and giving the daughters different choices of of where the story should go and he thought to himself you know i should try writing this down and so he wrote them down and he uh looked for somebody to publish them and this was the early 70s and Nothing really happened until about the late 70s. He found a, a fellow named R.A. Montgomery, Raymond Montgomery, who said, yeah, this is good stuff. We should get this published. Um, and I think uh, Montgomery was a local publisher, and they published the first book. I believe it was called um, Sugarcane Island, maybe, The Adventures of You. Um, did really well for the small publishing company, and they brought it to another publishing company, and this company said, you know what? this is good, let's let's write some more. And um, after the second publishing company, Lippold, I think it was, they got it to Bantam Books. Bantam Books came up with the name Choose Your Own Adventure and said, yep, this is making us money. 
let's write lots and lots of these things. Mm -hmm. And so we've got this. So in the late 70s, like 79 and 80 is basically when uh, Choose Your Own Adventures hit it big time. And that's probably where we were introduced to it, too, right at the very beginning. Yeah, I, I think uh, our school brought them in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think librarians uh, and educators were always looking for something to interest kids, probably especially boys, uh, yep. um, in reading. And uh, so if it's another, here's, a, here's something that might get kids reading. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, the scholastic book order forms. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's where I remember ordering things from. Yeah. I think my first one was this Who Killed Harlow Thromby book that we were talking about earlier that Robin still had, and I got back from him probably like 15 years ago. Yeah. I think. Yeah, like during one of your many purges of your stuff, Yeah. Uh, I ended up with yeah. a, a bunch of your books and everything. Yeah. 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 And uh, I almost never throw or get rid of anything. Yeah. So, Robin's a good guy to give your stuff to, <laughs> just in case. In case you ever want it back again. Yep. Um, the first spin-off book from the Adventures of Sugarcane Island was Deadwood, and that's where they actually got the title "Choose Your Own Adventure" from. Like the subtitle for Deadwood, the Deadwood book was "Choose Your Own Adventure in the Wild West," ah. and then the next book they wrote was "The Third Planet from Altair." choose your own adventure in outer space yeah yeah so even though most people who are familiar with the bantam release the most popular release will say well deadwood isn't like the second book and this sugarcane island isn't the first book that's right they weren't released in that order with the bantam books but deadwood is number two and third planet of from altair is the third and tonight we're going to take a look at ufo 5440 which was book 12 inside ufo 5440 yes that's right yeah yeah so why this book in particular darren because this is just i just remembered it being a real fun book yeah and i thought you know what this is a good this would be a good one i think who killed harlow thromby was like a potential for my first one but the whole exploration and just some of the randomness like where is this story going to take me in UFO 5440 is a little bit more, I think it kind of, if you're not familiar with the genre of, of choose your own adventure, it's, I think it just kind of it shows that you can experience weirdness in the, in the branchingness of it better than the whodunit of who killed Harlow Thromby. Yeah. Uh, this particular book, which I don't think I paid a lot of attention to in my youth. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it was one of my favorites. Uh, but I've been reading it the last week. Yeah. And uh, it it seems like, uh, what's the word for this? Like just a big spread. Yes. Like when you make a choice. You it, could be going anywhere. It wildly affects yeah. where the story goes. Yeah, and I thought that's what would, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of describing what I thought would make it a fun way of, yeah. of talking about something. Now, Choose Your Own Adventure books are interesting because, yes, they are a game but you don't necessarily win the game. Um, there's lots of endings, yeah. and some of the endings are on the good side of the spectrum, and some of them are on the bad side of the spectrum. But there's you never get to a the end page that says, you won the game. 
right. type thing. You're just kind of left with, and this is how the story ends. How do you feel about it? Like, it, it doesn't even ask you that, but you're just left to kind of evaluate the ending of your own. If you're into crashing UFOs, yeah. you might find the UFO crashing into the cornfield a <laughs> optimal ending. Yeah. Cool. Okay, this, this is... Should... Spoiler alert. Oh yes, spoiler alert. I guess I guess we should be saying this. Yes. If if I intend to talk about things, specific things in the book, and I will get to specific endings in the book. Yeah. So if you really don't want to hear this ahead of time, you should go read the book now. Yep. We'll wait for you. And then we'll we'll be right here whenever you get back. Except don't stop the podcast and read the book. Listen to the podcast anyway. <laughs> don't want to risk you not coming back. It, it is a bit of a risk. So yeah, like some endings are great, some are mediocre, some are poor. Yeah. They seem obvious that way. Yeah, and it's interesting how you're not told necessarily. Yeah. Like you might know, well, this is pretty good. I'm happy about this ending. Yeah. But you aren't told, is this the best one? Yeah, is could this... I do better? Yeah. I better read it, read through again. Yeah. Yes. Or I better turn back. To That's the right. previous I decision I made. Where I've left my fingers in the book. Yeah. Uh, as <laughs> as I've read through. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also with Choose Your Own Adventures, it's not necessarily the smartest choice or what seems like the most logical course of action that will necessarily bring the best result in yeah. the story. Yeah. Um, I'm of two minds about that. Yeah. That. Uh, Sometimes it seemed the choice was kind of arbitrary. Yes. Uh, and you weren't getting to use logic or mm-hmm. anything to choose. Yeah. Um, like that, some things are like, well, there isn't necessarily a right choice or a wrong choice. Do I want to explore down this corridor or do I want to talk to this person who's sitting with me? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what necessarily is the best choice or the most logical choice to make. And then some of them are, do I wrestle the controls away from, I'm just making this up, from the yeah. aliens, <laughs> or do I just submit to their laser blast to my head? <laughs> yeah. Or something like that, right? Yeah. Where you would think, well, you obviously, know, you got to fight or yeah. something like that. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's not necessarily, a, I'm not saying it's a complaint, just it's, it's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, some, some video games feel like this as well, mm, yep. where... You, you don't know what the right thing to do is, so you just do whatever. How many times, or how many endings did you end up reading to? I think I got to five or six. In, uh, in any of your endings, did you get to, um, I found two places in inside UFO 5440. I'm just going to start calling it either UFO or 5440. Sure. I think I'll call it UFO. Okay. Where it was really came down to a, well, there's one thing that came down to a random choice. Should I just turn to the page to find out where it is? Sure. Because I got it here. Oh, and I couldn't find where I put the double star on my map. I mapped out the entire novel. It's amazing. It's, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got this big tree structure. So let's see yeah, if I like can... Yeah, like a mathematical type tree. Yes. A, Dar- Darren and I both took computer science, so... I don't remember. What the, is, would this be called like a, a search tree? Not a search tree. Well, a, it's, a, it's a graph. Yeah, it's a graph. It's some sort of tree. Oh, there's the double star right there on page 114. 
So you end up sitting in this chair and you throw this thing, you throw a pebble into the waste paper basket. And the decision at the bottom of the page is, does it go in or not? <laughs> Turn either to page 41 or 50. Hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. So pick a page and turn to it. So yeah. there is your snakes and ladders. Yeah. Yeah, just to, well, but you still that that's right. It is it is snakes and ladders. Like it doesn't even say if it goes in turn to page 41. Yeah. It says does it go in or not? Turn to this page or that page. I guess it could be this or that. Yeah. And then there was another odd one on page 88. I mean on page 82. I don't know if did you get to that one with the throw the thing in the Okay. I is, don't remember that one. This is page 82. Did you get this? If you couldn't keep from thinking about this particular thing, turn to page 87. <laughs> if you were able to keep from thinking about this particular thing, turn to page 85. <laughs> I don't think I saw that one either. Yeah, so, and, and that was an interesting one because that's like, okay, be honest with yourself. As you were reading this section, did you think about this? Yeah. No, I didn't, so I get to turn to that page. So that yeah. was kind of an interesting one, too. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, like, was it the end of Ghostbusters where nobody can think about it? You know, the thing you nobody think about. Nobody can not think about yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's trying to not think about anything. Yeah. Should we get into the UFO book and maybe give the basic premise and talk about what's going on in the book? Yeah. So, so why 5440? Why that number? Why that number? Because at the very beginning of the story... Now, as I was doing my little, what, what do I call that? As I was telling my little story. Your monologue. My monologue at the beginning of the podcast. That's kind of the opening of the story. That's not what's in the book. The book, probably, you can get through it in about 40 seconds. And I took four minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, you're on this plane trip, and you get beamed aboard this spaceship that you see outside the plane. And there's the aliens who are in charge of the UFO. They say, hey, we're picked you up to put a, put you in our galactic zoo, our intergalactic zoo. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to... And, and then they wander off. And so it's like, are you going to try to escape? Or are you going to try to find out more about these aliens who have captured you? So 5440 is the latitude and longitude of yes. where you got picked up. That's right. Did you, did you say that yet? I didn't say yeah. that, yes. So somewhere off the coast of Greenland, yeah, this way is, off the coast of Greenland in the a, northern Atlantic. The Atlantic, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it, do you think it's a, a coincidence that they picked 5440? Because 5440 is the name of a, uh, a Canadian band from the early 80s. It also was like the slogan of the United States when there was the Oregon boundary dispute, 5440 or bust or war or something like that. Yeah, 5440, whenever I hear that, I'm thinking of the band. They took 5440, the band, uh, took their name from the slogan, 5440 or fight. Or fight, that's what it was, yes. Which is the Oregon boundary dispute. That was when uh, the United States and Canada were trying to figure out where the where the border was going to be out on the west coast is uh, the United States going to take the land all the way up to Alaska or is going is Canada going to take the land way down into Oregon and Washington and stuff yeah yeah 
So interesting that that happened to be the, the numbers they chose. And, you know, there's this other pretty famous slogan that uses 5440. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it must, uh, it just kind of rolls, rolls off the tongue. Yeah, okay. I guess so. So you would think that, what do you think, just from the very beginning of the book, the optimum ending, like what are you trying to get accomplished in this book from the, from the get-go? What, what were you thinking you're well, going to do? I would kind of assume, oh, I got to get home. Yeah. I just, I want to get home. Yep. And that's what I managed to do my first playthrough. Okay, good. And it seemed like a really good ending. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of surprising. Yeah, my first playthrough, I ended up at home as well. It was yeah. a good ending. Yeah. Wh- which ending was yours? Was yeah. yours with a uh, brew? Uh, I've got page 116. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Kim Lee. Oh, you and Kim Lee, yeah. Made it back to Earth. Oh, good, yeah. Good job. Yeah. Did you ever encounter Blue, uh, Brew? He was like the mini Wookiee floating guy. Was he the guy who gives you the the Easter Island head? No, oh, that that's was different... Inku. Oh, that's Inku. Yes. Yeah, so no, I never even ran into that oh, guy. Oh, yeah, so in my first playthrough, um, I ran into Brew, the mini floating Wookiee guy, and we got uh, we got back down to Earth, and it all worked out really well. Um Brew kind of went off on his own, but apparently a few months later he wandered by my house and said hi. It's like, <laughs> okay, cool. I guess that's okay. And that was a satisfying ending. Yeah. It didn't seem spectacular. Yeah. I, I got home. That was, it went pretty smoothly. So I kind of had a five, I, I graded everything from E to A, A being the best. And so I gave that like a B ending. I yeah. thought, yeah, that's, that's, it's good. It's a good ending. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The goal of the book is to get home. And with Kim Lee, I think you did it in quite a spectacular fashion, didn't you? Like, weren't you able to take control of the UFO? It was doing my bidding. Yeah. And and did you kind of, like, cause the the UFO masters to blink out of existence? Yeah. It, it, was, yeah. Al- it was almost goofy. It's like... I felt like I was only about two or three sections in, and Kim Lee's like, oh, you made them cease to exist. Yes. <laughs> we told them this ancient Chinese proverb, and they went, poof. <laughs> if I can't laugh and I can't cry, then I'm not really alive. Well, I guess I'm not alive. Yeah. Poof. I, I find it a bit bizarre that all these people have been waiting here 800 years and boy, you shake things up pretty quick. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. So th- this is the uh, well, this idea that's very prominent in a lot of video games, but mm-hmm. it's also very much here in these choose your adventure books, where you know you are just so super important and super such an agent of change. Yes. Yeah. That there would just be all these people waiting here. Uh, spending their time learning English, and they specifically tell you that. Yeah. Well, why do you know English? And quite a few of them will tell you, oh, you know, well, we I've been stuck here 800 years. What else am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. I learned a lot of things. <laughs> um, I remember one of the endings, um, you end up spending 32 years taking your 
taking your buddy home to his planet before you go back to Earth. Yes. And maybe even counted that, that one. one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, you spend a lot of time learning all of Earth's history. Yeah. So basically, you know everything about Earth by the time yeah. you land. Yeah, more than anybody. Because and you haven't aged. Yeah. Yeah. 32 years of learning uh, information that's not accessible to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, and you didn't age and you come back. So that's that's good. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, but yeah, of course your parents are probably nearly dead or something by the time you do show up again. That's right. Never think about the parents. And you, and that ending tells you what will happen, but doesn't actually it it tells doesn't show. Yeah, that's right. You're gonna spend this next period of time doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went through the whole novel. And I mapped it out. I read the whole thing through. I read everything. You've read I've, I've, everything there is. Can I tell you some of the, the fun endings? And, and we can see if, if you've met some of these characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's probably only about maybe eight main branches okay. uh, to, the, to the story. Yeah, I think I've seen about four of them. Okay, so you've yeah. probably come up with a bunch of these guys. Did you meet Mopo? Uh, Mopo is this big, I think he was described as a big deflated beach ball mattress type thing with roots for legs and, oh, I guess I didn't. and eyeballs all the way around his middle section. Well, you and Mopo can uh, escape the UFO, land in the ocean, and you can float on top of Mopo until <laughs> until some fishermen pick you up. Um, <laughs> and then they kill him? or Well, no. no Mopo, doesn't, Mopo doesn't die. He either dives and swims away um, or he sticks around with you guys and comes on the boat. And because you tell him, you know what, no, you can trust the humans. And he either becomes like this advisor to the UN who ushers in a new <laughs> age of world peace, or he goes with the Russians who are following the boat. And, you know, at the time that this was written, still Cold War, the Russians were the baddies. Um, it's like, why are you going with the Russians? Well, if you say that the Earthlings are good folks, well, I'll go with the Russians and I'll, I'll work for peace through them. Right on. Mopo. Mopo. I told you about Brew, the mini floating Wookiee guy. Yes. Yes, where you can have a nice a nice ending with, and he can come by and see you again. But there's an alternate ending with Brew once you get to Earth. Um, you can sell him out to the TV crews. <laughs> try to get some money, get the alien on TV, and Brew, he just kind of, it kind of gives you that feeling like he's, oh, man, I should never have trusted you. You're not a good guy after all. No, I'm not a good guy after all. But he's fine. He just kind of floats away, and it's okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned Kim Lee. Yep. She's she's a gateway to some uh, spectacularly good endings or perhaps bad endings. Yeah. Uh, yours was, how, how did yours ending end I think up? we ended up out in a farmer's field or something. Yeah. Um, were you talking to NASA at all with Kimley? Oh, I don't think I saw that. Oh, okay. Well, there's a few things that can happen with Kimley. You can actually get back onto the Concord by hanging out with Kimley, um, or you can be sent to SOMO. Were you ever sent to SOMO? No, I just got threatened with it, but I never did. Explain what SOMO is. What sounded like it was like eternal sleep or something it might as well have been eternal sleep a, yeah a billion years we're gonna put <laughs> you to sleep for a billion years and then we'll wake you up and and that 
was a little bit bizarre because like well if I'm just sleeping for a billion years and I wake up now what what's changed right nothing really except I'm not going to want to go home I guess yeah it's sort of like this is a guy who already got abducted and a billion years how do these guys know that they will exist a billion years from now I don't know so do you actually go through that billion and then wake up again? Well, I presume you do. But if you, you're going to sleep for a billion years. But you never... No, no, they, it's always like, spell that oh, out. you just start to go to sleep. And I think it. I think there's one ending where it kind of gets a little bit metaphysical and talks about, you know, you pop back. You wonder if when you pop back into existence or when you wake up, whether things will have changed at all or anything like that. But not much really happens from that. Um aside from getting back onto the Concord or going to Somo, your ending where you kind of cause the U-Tai, the U-Tai to not exist anymore. Yes. Um, <laughs> and didn't you meet up with NASA? No, I, I don't You didn't meet I up did. with NASA. You okay. keep asking me that, but I, I did, still eh? think I didn't. Okay. Oh, yeah. You ha- I think you actually did have one of the best endings then yeah. with, with Kim Lee, where you just bring the UFO to Earth and it's like, hey, everyone, we're here, and it's yeah. good. Another path is you can run into NASA with them and either, um, I think, give the UFO to NASA or NASA blows you up with their giant space laser. Right on. Yeah. Just a quick aside. I keep calling them the U-Tie. Is that what you called the the aliens when you were reading That's what it looked like, yeah. I kept seeing, like, unity or something like that. Oh, yeah, sure. Is the word... That it suggested to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, but you tie, I don't know. Yeah, I deliberately, when I was reading to my boys, I was pronouncing it the oo tie. Oh, yeah. I just figured, eh. Oo tie. Maybe I'll call it the oo tie. We talked about uh, Inku, the guy yeah. who gives you the little mini Easter Island head. Yeah, and sends you Easter Island. I ended up on Easter Island with it. Yep. Yep. Did you get to the section of the book where you're constantly like changing your mind or, or given the opportunity to change your mind and change it back and change your mind and change it back again? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was that was kind of fun. And, and you end up putting the computer in some sort of yeah. uh, illogic error the, yes. borrowed right from Star Trek. Uh, yes, the paradox, paradox. Yeah, paradox, yeah. You are the master, but the master is wrong. Yeah, so I think at least once we crashed into Earth because of it. Yep. And then another time, maybe just the ship exploded in space or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a few paradox endings with that aren't very good. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best endings comes through Inku as well, where you actually, and that's the, the, the story where you take Inku home and you spend like the 30 or 40 years learning all of Earth's history and then you return home, this wise, unaged guy. Yeah. Or gal. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we didn't talk about. Choose Your Own Adventures are written in the second person. Yes. And it's never really explicitly stated whether you're a boy or a girl or how old you are. Yeah, the artwork often does Su- seem to suggest yeah. more often boys, I think. Yeah. But I'm not certain. But you're right that it doesn't put very much into your own character, at least not in the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if this is like your first time reading something in the second person, which is something that you rarely read reading a novel that says you do this and you do that. You seem to talk in the second person quite a bit though. I, 
guess we do, but we don't. We don't often read stories oh, in the second in the person. Wee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> it's just funny you were at that time speaking in the second person yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, I interrupted you. That's okay. What were you saying? I was just saying that it it can be unsettling to read a novel in the second person. Yeah, um, a novel that's telling you that you are doing certain things and you are experiencing certain things yes yeah yeah it is unusual and it's maybe it's the only case uh of of fiction yeah doing that yeah uh intercom intercom yeah. infocom infocom why can't I? yeah yeah okay infocom uh text adventure games yeah. like zork and sure. hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and ed and bert Nordenbert. Nordenbert couldn't make heads or, or tails. tails of it. Yes. Yeah. Good games. Uh, they are also written in the second person. Sure. Yeah. I wonder if like King's Quest and some of the Sierra Onlines, whether there's enough dialogue that they would do that. Yeah. I think some of them do. At least uh, I'm thinking of Homestar Runner's Peasant Quest. Oh, yes. Which is right off, off yep. uh, modeled after it. Definitely yep. has some you kind of speech in it right on a couple more endings did you ever meet uh the dude named quali i don't it's think like so. wally with a q u oh yeah yeah and so you didn't get into the uh reverse time chamber i don't think so nothing good comes from the reverse time <laughs> chamber either you just age backwards until you become a baby and are born yeah, and cease to be. Exactly. Like the other guy you're stuck in the time chamber with. Or you make a break for it, but your legs, you're kind of running, perhaps leaning back a bit, and your legs kind of go through the portal before your body goes through the portal, and then you end up just kind of splitting and <laughs> dying. There's a lot of brutal endings for this <laughs> book. And I think there's a lot of brutal endings, period, in Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yeah. And so I was reading some of them to my boys, and my wife was sitting there listening and she was like, should you be reading these to the kids? I was like, yeah, it's not like, it's not gore stuff, but yeah, a lot of the endings are, you die, yeah, you die, you die and you kill everybody in the spaceship. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of death either explicitly put out there or you can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess as kids reading these books, it's like, yeah, okay, that's what happens. We all died. Yeah. I don't think that it turned us into... It, but I'm pretty certain it didn't turn us into killers. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> well, I wasn't saying killers, but I don't know. I don't think that it messed with our minds in some terrible way. Yeah. Like maybe it did. Um, I don't think so, though. I don't think I, so. I think that as kids that we can handle that kind of stuff. We seem to be able to. Yes. Um, did you get to the ending where the the Utah robots decide that they're going to do a museum heist in Manhattan and take you along? <laughs> I don't think so. That's one way you can... That seems like a pretty ridiculous one. Yeah, it, it is suboptimal ending. You get back to Earth, but it's kind of one of those, meh, that was a weird one. There's the one where you just kind of wake up reading a choose-your-own-adventure book. Oh. And that's kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, oh, and you just find yourself reading this Choose Your Own Adventure book. So you're telling me that it really did happen. Yeah, here I am. Yes. 
you get eaten by space beasties, tear the UFO apart, all sorts of fun stuff. I think one of the other really good endings was the old Scottish guy. Did you ever meet Angus? No. No? Angus is a good dude. Okay. Um, yeah, you managed to, to save everybody. Um, I think that you do away with... I think this is a post-Kim Lee plotline, so the UT masters have popped into non-existence and you land on earth and you get out and then Angus kind of waves goodbye to you from the UFO and he takes it for a spin around the galaxy. <laughs> There's this thread that keeps going through the book about Ultima. The pleasure, not the pleasure planet, the paradise planet of Ultima. Yeah, yes. That apparently the guys who drive the spaceship around that's totally into this is what they're looking for yeah like they bring you aboard the spaceship you're going to be part of the intergalactic zoo and as you read through various threads of the story they say well really the reason we're collecting all these people is because we want to get to the to the paradise planet of ultima and we figure that there's something to do with we we just got to collect all these people and, and use the knowledge that we get from all these civilizations to get there and we thought that earth was the key but maybe earth wasn't the key to get to ultima there's there's a, a few places where it says, you know, Ultima's this place, but you, you just can't choose to get there. Yeah. There's, there's no instructions that you can follow that'll get you to this place. Yeah, they're dropping these pretty strong hints. Yep. And without looking into it, I started thinking, well, this might be a page that no no, no choices lead to. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I suspect, but I haven't actually read it for myself. Okay. Uh, that one of the pages is. Let me confirm it for you. Yeah. You probably flipped through the book and came across that nice two-page spread, that illustration of that nice shiny planet. Did you ever see that? Here, let me flip. Oh, there it is. It's around 100-ish. We've both got our copies out here. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Wow. So take a look at the page just before that. You did not make a choice or follow any direction, but now, somehow, you are descending from space, approaching a great glistening sphere. It is Ultima, the planet of paradise. Yes. We found it, Darren. We did, and then there's a nice two-page picture that you can't miss as you're flipping back and forth in the book. It's almost as if it's there to say, hey, look at me. This this looks like a pretty good ending. And then on page 104, you kind of read through these four pages. There's a page, then two pictures, and another page. It talks about these people welcome you, welcoming you to Ultima. And it, send, it ends, the last chapter says, No one can choose to visit Ultima, nor can you get here by following directions. It was a miracle you got here. But that is perfectly logical. Because Ultima is a miracle itself. The end. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess that's the best ending. So, But your suspicions are true. It's just dropped in there. You can't get to it. There is no path in the book that leads you to page 101, 2, 3, 4. Yeah. yeah so it's that's, a big tease. So that's them kind of playing with this format yeah. in a way. Like yeah. they're... they're 
They're doing something. They're dangling this this carrot in front of you, saying, "Ooh, look at this really great ending." You haven't found it yet? Well, keep keep reading. Try again. Maybe you'll get it next time. Yeah, yeah. Something really interesting I found about that. So I guess you didn't really read read that ending, did you? No. No, you just did now. Okay. So there's two people. There's um, let's see if I can say her name right. Elinka is the woman's name, mm-hmm. and then there's a fellow named Arkham. And I wasn't, I didn't spend too much time thinking about Elinka's name, but I suspect that there's a connection to the rest of the book with Elinka's name. Arkham's name is an anagram of the name of the ship. The UFO 5440 is referred to by various characters in the book as the uh, Ramka. Yes. And rearrange the letters and you've got Arkham, the guy mm-hmm. who welcomes you to the planet of Ultima. Aha. Uh-huh. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, Amkar and Elinka kind of seem like the Adam and Eve characters on the planet almost. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I asked you about Soma. What was the point of that? Um, And we talked about the the Utai. They're kind of like energy beings. Um, and the whole Kim Lee thing with her ancient Chinese proverb that causes them to pop out of existence when they realize that, oh, we probably don't have a soul because we can't laugh and we can't cry. Um, they're interesting folks, though. They're telekinetic. Mm-hmm. They can move things around. They've got like this mind talky business that they can do. Yeah, they're often talking into our heads. Yes. And this is this is kind of a thing with Choose Your Own Adventures. And maybe it's a product of the early 80s, late 70s when they were written. But like the whole alien thing and the Easter Island heads and pyramids and Bigfoot and all that kind of like paranormal. A- ancient mysteries. Yeah, and that's all over the place in a lot of choose your own adventure books yeah and i think that was kind of part of the appeal to us you know we like the sci-fi we like the weirdness yeah i think we were everyone was just kind of into that kind of thing yeah we were always getting uh given alien like alien stuff was everywhere all over i the mean place. we we're just talking about that with yeah. et right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. hey yeah. darren take a look at this book yeah <laughs> it'll freak you out um, did you notice that, like, the sunset colors, the purples and the oranges that are associated with the Utai kind of show up in the ship every once in a while in the walls and stuff like that? Ah. Yeah. That was just something I noticed during my various readings down various paths, those kind of um, colors, those muted purples and stuff always seem to be showing up all the time. I think that pretty much covers a lot of inside ufo 5440 sure sure does you spoiled it like can't spoil it more can you no way man it was did you enjoy reading this one well yeah i thought i thought it was pretty fine i was like oh this is kind of like extreme choose your own adventure yeah it really did feel just because you know i can go one time i go back home the next time i'm whatever going off on a 32 year space yeah. adventure i'm growing backwards until i'm born yeah just all this kind of crazy stuff was going yeah okay so th- this book though has a diagram of the spaceship yeah at the beginning and yeah. i don't know if any I, I can't think of any other choose your own adventures there probably are yeah i can't think of any others that illustrate 
your environment like that. I can't think of anything offhand for sure, but I can imagine maybe some of the books having a map or something like that yeah. in the front. But it's this interesting kind of like side view, yeah. uh, cutaway of this great big ship inside UFO 5440. Uh, the literalist in me thinks it's pretty goofy that they're calling it a UFO, and yet... We know all about this. They've, they've written the name down, and here's a, <laughs> here's a complete diagram of everything inside of it. Yeah. Which does seem a bit goofy. Um, I also want to mention that the RACMA... Yes. R-A-K-M-A. Yeah. Uh, remove just the K. And yeah. you have Rama, Rama, which is an Arthur C. Clarke uh, science fiction novel. Rendezvous with Rama. Yeah. And uh, Rama is the spaceship. Yeah, spaceship, which is also, I believe, cylindrical. Yes, it is. And full of bizarre ancient yeah. uh, things. Yeah. Um, so there was probably a bit of inspiration there. I, I, I noticed that as well, and I wondered that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Rama itself uh, was turned into what at the time was an amazing point-and-click uh, computer game. Um which I totally enjoyed. It was kind of, do you remember Myst? The game yes, Myst? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, and for a little while, people were making lots of games like that. that yep. There were these still high-res images that you can move about in. Yeah. Um, and that's what the Rama game was. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there was a C64 text adventure by that Telerium. Oh, with illustrations. Anyway, uh, there were... Th- there's been other Rama games, but that's, that's cool. for another podcast. Yeah, or no, I could totally see us doing an Arthur C. Clarke book or something because we read, a, even though maybe not a lot of them were written in the. We were reading them in the. We 80s. were reading them in the eighties. So yeah, he that's was kind still of an eighty thing. He was 80s. still writing some in the eighties yep. and nineties. Yep. He made it all the way to two thousand eight. Oh, good just job! To age ninety. Really, he yeah. was only ninety when he died. Only, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I thought he was either older than that or, yeah. Yeah, in the 80s, he wrote 20, 2010. He wrote C2. that in, in... 82. Really? Yeah. Great. And Songs of Distant Earth in 86. Yeah. 2061, Odyssey 3 yeah. in 1987. I remember reading that one, too, and then right the when go- it came out. And The Ghost from the Grand Banks was 1990, okay. so that was just... And then Rama must have come out in the early early 90s and he co-wrote or he had a co-writer oh no Ra- that, right? Rama's an old book from 73 oh really oh like the Maybe, second Rama yeah Rama Revisited yeah but you know what that's not even listed in this uh, okay I guess this is highlights or something ah very good okay so the future of choose your own adventure uh-huh. so this was a big thing in the 80s and I think even into the 90s choose your own adventure books were around there's like well over a hundred of them published in this series and then republished and republished again but there's still kind of choose your own adventure kind of stuff going on still oh yeah um, Packard and Montgomery they um, don't own the name anymore I don't even think Bantam Books owns it anymore it kind of lapsed and other people have, have picked it up but you sent me a link, and I saw a link uh, from some other folks just this past week about a new Choose Your Own Adventure board game Yeah, um, that's come out. Yeah, and there's been a couple attempts. I think uh, 10 years ago, maybe 5, 10 years, I think it was like 10 years ago, Yeah, there was a DVD, Choose Your Own Adventure, yeah. 
um, that was like an animated yeah. uh, one that was using DVD technology oh, to it, flip around. So weird. We're talking about this. I didn't make the connection when I was reading up on Cosmic Arc. Rob Fullup. Fullup. Yeah. After doing his stuff with the magic, he ended up making this quite controversial DVD ROM oh, game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of kind of choose your own adventure y where you where you're kind of choosing like the different rooms and stuff and Yeah. And well, you see what happens, but maybe you're not really influencing well, yeah, the storyline as ba- much. Basically, yeah, that was for the Sega. Ge- that was uh, Night Trap, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Night Trap. That's what it was uh, called for the Sega Genesis CD. Yes, and that was like a even worse version of the the Laserdisc games that we first saw in the arcade. Like, do you remember yeah, Dragon's, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace? Yeah. and like we go, whoa, amazing graphics. Yeah, but really, it's they're not computer graphics. Yeah. They are a animated film yep. uh, that branches, that you yeah. get to make choices. Yeah. In the case of Dragon's Lair, you rarely actually get to make a choice. Well, you either continue the story or you die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but some games would start to branch more than that. Ah, very good. Yeah. Uh, there's a uh, interactive um, movie. Uh, there have been interactive movies where everybody gets like little clickers or you can vote on your smartphone so kind of like doing the choose your own adventure in the theater type yeah. thing um i read this uh really interesting um documentary slash theater piece maybe i'll put a link to it in the show notes um about this choose your own it's it the project is called choose your own documentary and um um the story is about this guy who buys these choose your own adventure books and finds this diary written, um, or at least pages of a diary written and in the Choose Your Own Adventure book. And so he's made this documentary about going and finding the person who wrote this diary. And he's presenting it as kind of this one-man theater show slash documentary where the audience can choose how he approaches trying to find out uh, to to meet this the fellow who wrote it so that was kind of interesting yeah any anything else that you can that you came across well yeah I, I just want to mention like the fighting fantasy books sure, from all those the, other types of game the books. UK yeah. that's right that was the one that uh, choose your adventure got me started yeah but we were then, probably like we were probably like like 11 10 yeah, 11 10, years 11. old yeah that's these. right and then Fighting Fantasy showed up in the bookstores, yeah. the Coles bookstore, classic yep. bookstore we had in Canada. And uh, I started buying those books. And, yes. And they they were like Choose Your Adventure books, but they had like 400 sections per book. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have so many endings. Well, mm. I shouldn't say that. They had lots of endings. They only had one real winning yes. state, though. Yeah. Uh, and all kinds of different ways of losing. And there was a combat system yeah. in it, and you would have an inventory of items. Yeah, so yeah. they're like playing a, a game. And and that has also gone through revival. But So mm-hmm. I think we'll talk about those sometime in the future. Sometime separately, yeah. yeah. TSR put out their own line of books. I remember having a yes. few. Ed, I don't. They're not called Adventure Quest. I, th- I think... Something like that. I think they couldn't... They couldn't decide on what their brand was, and I think it changed. I may have had it written down. Uh, Find Your Fate was another one. Okay. Uh, I've actually got, like, all these 
tiny little series that never took off. Oh yeah, like just individual books. Um, I've probably got a hundred other books uh, that are all choose your own adventure type books. Endless Quest. Yeah, Endless Quest. Yes, um, I think I had some Indiana Jones choose your own adventure type. Yeah, books. those might be also find your fate. Yeah, could have been the, where all these different companies tried to jump on board. Oh yeah, for a while, some were more successful. There were official Tolkien ones for a little. Oh really? While yeah, oh, neat. And those those were good. Um, and oh, and Choose Your Adventure had a junior edition. Do you remember yes, that? I don't remember it, but I, I stumbled yeah, across I've that. Yeah, I've got a few of those. Yeah. And then I think there was like super or advanced Choose Your Adventure, Ooh. which were just like bigger books. Yeah. Um, and that was its own series as well. So yeah, it's it's never completely disappeared. It's gone through. Uh, it's ebbed. It's ebbed at and times. Oh, I, I've got one choose your vet, like uh, a non-linear book that was an instructional book, like oh, a, yeah. for educational purposes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not fiction at all, but it was written the same way, where you t- choose your pages, yep. and uh, you learn as yeah. you go. So it's a bit. It seems a bit more like having a tutor. Cool. Yeah. Now, Robin, you're big into February album writing month. Yes. That's where uh, songwriters get together and try to do a full album's worth of songs in 28 days. That's what happens. A similar thing to that that our listeners might know about is November Novel Writing Month. NaNoWriMo. And that's something that I have uh, started a number of times and successfully completed once. Yes. And my successful NaNoWriMo was a big old choose-your-own-adventure. I seem to remember this, some sort of uh, detective story or, or murder mystery. Yes. It, it depends on what decisions you make towards the beginning of the novel, whether or not it's a murder mystery or not. Ah. Um, mystery at the Manor. Right on. And I, I remember this, that you got it printed. Yeah. A single copy from, well, this was quite a while ago. So This what, was, I did this in... Was that 2007? Is that like Lulu or yeah, something? Yeah, I think so. Was yeah, the website? it was Lulu. 2006, printed in 2007. Wow. Yes. So at your... I, I showed this to Robin last week when he was by, and he was commenting, Darren, how come there's no art on the cover? You're usually the artsy guy, yeah, drawn well, cartoons and stuff. Why didn't you do art for the cover of it? Yeah, and Darren cloned the Choose Your Own Adventure layout yep. with like all the text... The shapes are there, the circle, the, uh, I don't know, the framing. Yeah. It uh, looks just like it, but there's just a big gray space where the picture should have been. It's called a choose your own adversity novel. <laughs> so this week I yeah. did art for the middle of it. Did you? And I updated it. Yes. Wow. So yeah, I might, I might order myself. Nobody's ever ordered it or even downloaded the free pdf version of it but oh i didn't even know it was available to download it is yeah i will send you a link okay yeah so that's updated now yeah this is updated with on on the website on the website yeah yeah and did you change any of the text like where it says chapter or whatever no i didn't do any of that stuff no Yeah. yeah so yes because you no longer care about the word count not at this point no but you know what Reading the Choose Your Own Adventures the last couple of weeks and even looking at this a little bit this week, it's like, hmm, I think I'm going to do NaNoWriMo again this year and I'm going to do another Choose Your Own Adventure. 
That would be fun. It would be. Anything else on UFO 5440? I said that we were going to do Choose Your Own Adventures, and we kind of did Choose Your Own Adventures, but, and I was thinking, oh, we'll take a look at maybe three novels. And yeah. And we decided quite quickly, you know, it's probably best idea to focus on one. Do more of a deep dive. Okay, the one, yeah. yeah, the one other thing, the illustrations in the book. Yes. I want to talk about... Paul Granger. Paul Granger? Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and, Paul Granger. And... They're really iconic. Yes. Uh, it's just simple line drawings yep. that I guess he did with pencil or whatever yep. and probably inked them, yep. but but no color. Yeah. Uh, and they remind me of other books from that era. Hmm. Uh, I think Encyclopedia Brown yeah. had sort of a similar... And, and I've always associated uh, Encyclopedia Brown me too. kind of the same Yeah. because it felt like you got to make a choice yeah. or it was a game even it, though yeah. it wasn't a game where you were figuring out like you were you were ch- making the plot happen it was a game that you were trying to figure out what was going on with encyclopedia brown yeah yeah w- along with choose your own adventure encyclopedia brown was like right up there for me as like a 10 11 year old boy yeah i've got a fair collection of encyclopedia brown as well I think we've got them all upstairs, and, and my boys read them all. Yeah, where where'd you get them all? Um, you, they're still publishing them, so they're oh, are they? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Scholastic probably. Yeah, so we might do another choose your own adventure sometime in the future on the podcast. Yeah. I might pick one. If you've got a favorite, let us know. Hmm. Do we have any housekeeping yeah, stuff? Well, we should definitely give a shout out to our new friends, Steve and Jeff. Yes. Brothers who have a podcast called Into the Vertical Blank. Yes. And uh, they've been discussing uh, their life growing up with Atari mm-hmm. and uh, telling stories from that time. Yep. Uh, there's been a big focus on asteroids so far. And uh, also their own stories, I think, trying to frame uh, the ups and downs they had in their childhood uh, in terms of this this escape that the Atari was. And uh, I think what they're trying to do with their podcast is related. uh, I I think Darren and I are going to try to do uh, a bit more of that, uh, telling stories. and also it ties in with what I've been trying to do with my band Bedford Level Experiment. Some of my songs uh, are stories from my childhood. Uh, being a geek, mm-hmm. being a computer, uh, I was a Commodore guy and not an Atari guy so much. Yeah. Although Atari certainly factored into it for me too. Stay uh, tuned for Cosmic Arc. Yeah, uh, that's coming up next. Uh, so yeah, anyway... Darren and I both really like what they're doing. Oh, so love them a lot. We'll we, put a link to them in the show notes yeah. and encourage you to download and listen to their Into the Vertical Blank podcast. Yes. I also wanted to say, I, my little bit of chit-chat this afternoon, Darren, I was putting together a, tr- a new trampoline for my kids. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, if this was the 80s, I'd be done by now. Do you know why? <laughs> because the springs would be all exposed and... 
No, why? Yeah, well, because nowadays it's like uh, an absolute crime to build a trampoline without a net enclosure oh, yeah, on it. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. But but when we were kids, trampolines did not have any of that stuff. So, so basically, that's how much I got done today was I built the whole trampoline, but yep. there's no net on it yet. Oh, you can't use it, kids. Yeah, and so the kids are all staring at it. It's like in the 80s. We would be bouncing. We'd be done and they'd be bouncing. <laughs> Instead, they're all just staring at it, waiting. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, kids. maybe we'll finish it tomorrow. <laughs> we had our good friend Doug in town this week. Doug is a Thunder Bay guy who no longer lives in Thunder Bay. He lives in Saskatoon. Really good friend of Robin and mine. Friend of yous. Friend of me. Uh, we were in a band together in the 90s, and uh, Doug had a few comments on um, our E.T. portion of the episode last time. <laughs> so, this is a little special thing for the podcast. We have our pedantic Star Wars guest <laughs> and longtime buddy, Doug Anderson, from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Hello, world. Now, Doug, uh, Doug wanted to set Robin and I straight on a couple points. <laughs> Couple Star Wars points from, from the last fir- episode. From the Was first there a couple? episode, yeah. Yeah, okay. my pronunciation of the character in the shape of a so, bear. Okay, so what? What? Oh, yes, the Bosque. Yes. Well, so was it pronunciation or was it just mixing up? Well, I think I pronounced it wrong, and I think that you wanted to correct Robin on some factual, scriptural, 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 script, <laughs> script-related. <laughs> Oh, uh, script-related things. What was that? I don't remember. Yoto, Yoto. Oh, about the fact that he actually said actual words? Oh, okay, yeah. So did... Okay, first of all, we're talking about in Star Wars... Yeah. Return of the Jedi in Jabba's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we want to frame this even better by saying the voice actor... The voice... This is the yeah. voice actor. The voice actress... Voice actor for E.T. also the voice of provided ET. the voice for Princess Leia in her bounty hunter role in Return of the Jedi. Boosh. 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 And I think we said boss. We said boss. Yes. Bosch or boss. Bosch, Bosch, Bosch is the reptile looking guy that you see in Empire Strikes Back. With the long arms. With the long arms. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we, we were correct. The voice does belong to Princess Leia's Alter ego. Yep. Yeah. But we had the wrong name. We had the wrong name. Or we were and pronouncing it wrong. We were pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. And I was saying, but Princess Leia doesn't speak words in this. And you were saying, no, no, there's all sorts of words that she speaks. Yeah, did I say all sorts? But at least I I thought some of it was understandable English. There right. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Okay. So she says, like, yata, yata. Like, every time she talks to Jabba, she yeah. just says, yata, yata. Like... And that means all sorts of things. I guess it's like, I am Groot. (laughs) But then when she's talking to Han, he's like, I can't see. And she's like, it's hibernation sickness. You'll be fine in time. Or something like that. Who are you? Someone who loves you. And I can't remember if she takes the helmet off before she says that. Yeah, she she does. She takes off mid-sentence. Someone who loves you. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping it was E.T. But I guess it's not. That'd have been awesome. Because <laughs> I knew, I knew it's like, no, it's not all just English words. It was mostly the other things. But Doug corrected me. Well, it's probably like an even split. It probably between, is between whatever Yoko, gibberish, Yoko, yeah, and, and whatever else. Yeah, whatever that. Because it, it, 
it actually always bugged me that that was she was bargaining with Jabba about how much she'd get paid, and but everything she said was the same word. I'm like, how does that? How That's does that work? A protocol droid. There. I, yeah. <laughs> I, is it the inflection or something? Yeah, it must, it must be in the inflection or something. Okay, well, thank you, Doug, for setting us straight on those important. <laughs> I'm traveling all the way from Saskatoon just to put you, just to be pedantic. If if you're into the Commodore 64, look up Freeze 64. It's, real physical magazines. Yeah, it's a real magazine that this uh, Vinny puts out every, from the UK puts out i think every month uh i'm a subscriber and in issue 20 uh i i am featured hey uh, my collection it's a picture of me holding like the c64 dtv and c64 mini in front of my game shelves and he asked me a few questions it's a little mini interview right on so uh pick it up and uh i'm looking forward to my copy to show my mom to show her that I did amount to something. Excellent. <laughs> Darren didn't know how to react to that. If you need to get in touch with us, you can find us on our website, thecouch.website. I'm on the Twitter at Darren the Folds. And I'm at Bedford Level Experiment. Search for that. You'll find his Twitter. Oh, yeah. Now thing. I've put Robin at Bedford Level Experiment. Solar system will soon be passed. Oh, Noah, gonna fly your cosmic arc. Hoping that I could play again, I went over to a friend's. Anticipation overwhelmed me. Hoping didn't help, he played first. Hardly ever gave me a turn. Restarted every time he lost. I want a turn. You get to play all the time. I want to turn. You get to play all the time. But I watched him play Pitfall, and Cosmic Arc, it was the best of all, rescuing those strange little creatures. Later, he told me he finished the game. Traveling far enough, the ending came. The Ark had returned to Earth. I want to turn. You get to play all the time. You've got an Atari 2600. You've got a ColecoVision. You've got a bar fridge filled up with pop. You've got a VCR and big TV. That guy seems like a real jerk. <laughs> Who is that guy anyway? So just a little while ago, you are mentioning FOM. Yes, February Album Writing Month. Month. Yeah, and I participate almost every year um, and uh, often do manage to complete the 14 songs. Yes. Uh, one year, I think it was 2015 or maybe even 2014, 2015, mm -hmm. um, 
I did kind of an epic called Place Without a Computer. Yes. Which was uh, taking my one of my favorite Midnight Oil albums, Place Without a Postcard, and using that musically uh, to inspire me telling my childhood origin story of becoming a nerd, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first seven songs are little vignettes of uh, growing up 80s. Yep. Uh, about my first encounters with computers and so on. Uh, the fifth song is called I Want to Turn, and that's what I was just reading here. Uh, and that was that was about my first encounters that I remember with Darren Folds, who uh, about 35 years later, I think we worked that out. Uh, I was a deprived child, at least so I thought. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, this song is written from the rather selfish, self-centered perspective of one kid uh dealing with another kid who seemed very self-centered very selfish <laughs> and self-centered i think uh, you got that part right for sure yeah <laughs> uh but certainly it was my own uh selfishness or whatever anyway we went i uh, i i i don't know if it's because of the song that you've re-implanted the memories in me but i feel like i can remember hitting the reset switch, especially on pitfall. Yes. Just, oh, that was a bad start. Flick. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just starting again. Yeah. So to explain a little bit, uh, Darren and I both went to the same school, Edgewater Park here in Thunder Bay, Canada. Yep. I was two blocks away from the school and Darren was one block from school. Yeah. And so Darren was on my way. Uh, I walked by his house mm-hmm. and, uh, so I think probably after school one day, I, I heard Darren had an Atari. I had no Atari or computer or yep. anything. Yep. Uh, Darren had an Atari. And so I, I think I invited myself over. Okay. And, and I think Darren was probably, oh, yeah, you can come over and play. <laughs> so Watch me play. Yeah. So this is probably one of the very first times I ever went to Darren's house. Maybe the first time. You think so? Yeah. Okay. And uh, we went downstairs into his basement, and that's where the Atari always was kept, yeah. in everybody's house yeah. uh, in, in Thunder Bay, it seemed. And we went to the Atari, and Darren said, hey, I got Pitfall. Should we play Pitfall? Or we're going to play Pitfall. <laughs> I'll go first, he says. And uh, he starts playing Pitfall, and, uh, you know, one or two screens in, uh, he the crocodiles eat him or the snake gets him or whatever yep. he dies and he's oh and he reaches over and hits the reset button <laughs> to start the game over with all three all his lives again yeah he said i'll just start over and then he did it again and again and again and so he must have restarted four five six seven times before he finally got a game that seemed good enough to him to not restart it it's funny because because you're saying him, not you. It's like we're talking about another person. <laughs> you're right. I don't know why I'm talking about you in the in the. Why am I talking about you talk, in the third talk person? Talk about me in the second person. That's what we've been doing yeah, for the I last sh- hour. Yeah, I should. That's right. Maybe I'm tired of the second person. That's why. Okay, so yeah, I think I'm I'm wanting to talk about you in the third person because I've just got this. Maybe I'd get too angry at you or something if I <laughs> if I didn't. This, this keeps that impersonal. So so anyway. Then Can there... I ask for your forgiveness for being oh. a jerky little <laughs> well, kid? This is all framed with me basically oh, yeah. being self-serving because I want to come over and play your Atari. Um, but I guess I did 
maybe it's reasonable to think that we would get equal time on or it. Or at least some time on yeah. it. Yes. So, okay. So, so after Darren plays like essentially four or five, six games, <laughs> and then he passes me the joystick. Well, I'm terrible at the game. He's I've never, never played, played before. it. Except for watching you. So I die really quick, but I don't get the reset <laughs> gimmies. And my game, my three lives are over and the joystick goes back to Darren and he does it again. Reset. Yeah. Reset. Yeah. Reset. So, <laughs> so that, that was my introduction uh, to Darren and Pitfall. And then you uh, talk about another game. Yeah. And then that's right. Uh, then that time or shortly after you got a game called Cosmic Arc. Mm-hmm. And we played that, and that was a pretty fascinating game yeah. because of this uh, journey. Uh, it's in the game you're like uh, Noah, like a space age Noah with this great big saucer spaceship, and you're trying to collect two of every animal yeah. from all these planets. So it's uh, kind of a twist on the old uh, biblical uh, tale. And but when you got to the next planet, there would be new aliens there that would have a different appearance. And yeah. It really has a sense of a, a journey. You want to see what do all these aliens look like? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a big hook, I think, for both of us. Oh, for sure. But what made it totally legendary is that after I played it for a while, one day at school, Darren tells me, hey, Robin, I finished Cosmic Art. <laughs> I'm like, what? You finished it? Oh, yeah, I got to the end. I got back to Earth. <laughs> and I just, what? Whoa, whoa, what What happens? You get back to Earth. What? what happened? Well, there's all these people and they wave at you. <laughs> well, I didn't know that Darren was telling a fib. <laughs> That's kind of you. <laughs> but, but it was amazing. And uh, I think for quite a while, it, it was quite a while before I found out that this wasn't true. <laughs> but it was just legendary. The legendary Earth level yeah, the legendary of Earth. cosmic art. That's right. Yeah, it, and I guess it was framed in this idea that you're actually going through our solar system and uh, eventually get back to Earth. And yeah. you know what? Maybe the precedent for the, the game uh, Gyrus? Yes. Or Gyra, I was you, just thinking about Gyrus. Yeah, Gyrus. You actually are flying. Seven through. warps to Saturn. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Eventually you get to Earth. Yeah. So if the listeners haven't caught on yet... By the title of the podcast and what we've been talking about just now, we're talking about Cosmic Arc for the Atari 2600, the VCS, the home, the video home computer. No, what do they call it? The video VCS. computer system, system, VCS. Yes. Yeah. And we'd be remiss not to mention that right now there's a Kickstarter for an Atari VCS mm. uh, by a a ghost of a company uh like what what, what do you call this that atari is being gone for a long time but the name yeah. has some value yeah and it gets oh, yeah. traded and so yep. on so there's currently a company called atari mm-hmm. uh who have a kickstarter hmm. and uh it was going to be called the atari box yeah uh and then they decided to call it the atari vcs but i have a role to play in this darren oh you do Okay, that's good, because if it was just like trotting out this Kickstarter for something, I was like, oh, are we going to include that in the podcast? But if you have a role, let's well, hear about it. Well, here's the thing. It was called the Atari Box. Yeah. They wanted to change the name. Yeah. Well, guess who owned AtariVCS.com? No. You did? Me. Really? Only listeners of this podcast know this. I haven't told anybody wow. else this. 
So Atari, modern day Atari, yeah, is emailing me, trying to get me to sell, yeah, AtariVCS.com to wow. them. Wow. Yeah, and I eventually did. Yeah. I was. These sort of situations can escalate. Yes. And so sometimes you just gotta think, wow, this is the right time to to take the money, take and a run. bit of money and run. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so if I had held out. Yeah, maybe I either would have got dragged to court mm -hmm. or the Atari VCS wouldn't be called the Atari VCS. Mm -hmm. So anyway, once they secured the name from me, yeah, uh, suddenly the Kickstarter goes up. I didn't know. Yeah. And they had rebranded the Atari box as the Atari VCS. Wow. Right in the middle of it. There you go. Yeah. That's cool. Let's I, talk about Cosmic Arc if yes, you're done. Let's get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so... In this game, I was already saying you're kind of like a space age Noah. Yeah. But it's kind of a sequel to a game called Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Now, do you know why? Because at the end of Atlantis, yeah, um, when the when the city blows up, this little spaceship kind of escapes and flies off to who knows where. Yes. And this little tiny spaceship ends up being like the shuttlecraft in Cosmic Arc. Yes. And it also, at the end of Cosmic Arc, when the arc blows up, because, spoilers, you're never going to be successful and you're going to blow up. Yeah. But the little escape pod escapes again yeah, in Cosmic it's, Arc. It's the same ship. And apparently uh, they, being Imagic, yep. the company that released both games, uh, planned on putting that ship into even more. But they never did mm. get making more. Um, so it's kind of neat that's a sequel. And, and yeah, Atlantis, of course, you always have to... Eventually you lose yep. all these old school games. Yeah. Uh, I, you never make it to Earth. You never do make it to Nobody Earth. Nobody cheers you for winning <laughs> you, the game. You never do really save Atlantis in the previous game either. So eventually it does blow up, and those people, it's like, well, the whole solar system's going to go. we got to go save two creatures the from animals. every planet. May I read you yeah. from the manual? Please do. The sun of Alpha Rho is fading fast. Soon it will flicker out. The Cosmic Arc races to save creatures from doomed planets in that solar system. See, this is a, a mission of mercy, right? Yeah. Meteor showers bombard the Arc, threatening its Atlantean crew. And planetary defense systems make the mission of mercy doubly treacherous. So you're trying to do these creatures a favor, but they're shooting at you. Yeah. Time and energy slip away, work fast, or these defenseless little creatures, defenseless little beasties will disappear for all time. But they're not defenseless. They yeah. have planetary defense systems. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, so... This we, is Cosmic Arc. So we don't know who put those planetary defense systems in. Nope. M maybe they... Maybe you did it to yourselves or something like maybe the, the Atlanteans put them in. Why are there, why is there only one type of creature per planet? Well, those are not very diverse ecosystems. Yeah. It's, it seems like you make two trips to each planet or you make a trip to a planet. So this is the story of the game. You're out in space. The meteors are coming at you. You blast away the meteors and you can go to the planet surface to rescue these beasties. Yeah. And you get to the planet and there's two identical beasties on a planet. Yeah. And you rescue them. Either you do them. You have your landing ship that has a tractor beam. Yeah. Yeah. And you suck them up into your ship. And you go back into your, your cosmic arc. You put the beasties there and you go back up 
into space to fight off more meteors, do you go to a different planet and the, pick up two more of the same creature? Yeah, this is what's kind of weird about the game. I guess due to whatever limitations, they it, it would have been nice if there was a new beastie Every, Every planet. planet. Yeah. Now, we're not going to be these kind of video game reviewers no. who say, oh, they've done it wrong. And they, We understand that there are limitations and we're yeah. not going to say they did it wrong or they should have done it this way. This just happens to be how it goes. Yeah. And, it's, you know, there's the story. It's a little confusing for the story's sake exactly what is going on here. Are they going to the same planet twice in a row? actually collecting four of every beastie yeah uh we the, don't know the plant seems i think the plant changes the each colors time. change yeah. yeah could be different continents you're on the different yeah, yeah you're on the other could be side something different it's the moon of the corresponding maybe it is planet. who knows know. yes yeah so yeah well so basically yeah the game has these two sections that flip back and forth which is a little bit novel for games of this time yeah that you're you've got this big ship conveniently like it's flying through this asteroid comet field or whatever mm -hmm. and uh conveniently they always come at you from just the four directions yeah that's right <laughs> up down left or right. right yeah uh so it becomes quite difficult to react in time as those uh comets keep coming at you yeah the first the first screen you play once you figure out the controls which the controls are easy but you know what it actually does take a little bit of okay i'm used to things here yeah once you get used to it, first couple screens with meteors, not really a problem. Yeah, and, and it's unusual that you don't use the fire button to shoot. No, you press the joystick in the direction that you want to shoot. Yeah, and the fire button actually does nothing on that first section. That's right. Yeah. Um, it actually took me a little while. I've just been playing again for this past week. Yeah. I probably haven't played real Cosmic Arc maybe for a decade or more since I played at your house last. Yeah. But, you know, it... it took me a few plays before I got to the point where, you know, I just have to firmly hold the joystick and so that I can confidently press in whatever direction I <laughs> yeah. need to fire. And, but once I got that, no problems. Yeah. And these particular joysticks that I lent you here, uh, are very good for this game. They have a very short throw. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, if you play, try to play that game with a more mushy joystick. Sure. Like, uh, the boss or something like yeah. that. Yeah, we should do a show on joysticks. joysticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we probably could. Oh, we totally could. I yeah. think there'd be all something to say about so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And our friend Jason Compton oh, yeah. uh, would have a guess. He he loves this one joystick that nobody else likes. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt like I had an experience like that too with the Ergo stick. Oh, yeah, you were into the Ergos. Oh, yeah, we, we we do need to do an episode on that. Maybe we can get Jason to guest. Yeah, to have a little Jason, guest opinion or oh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. We so, were talking about... Cosmic Arc. Yes, and we were talking about the joystick. Yes. And getting used to it and being able to fight your way right. through the thing, through the meteors. Yeah. Because this is a game that has two stages to it. Yeah. You go back and forth between two, like, two separate type of games. So you've got the Shoot the Meteors game, and then you make it through... Maybe a dozen meteors? Do you ever count? Yeah, it's around a dozen. Yeah. Dozen, 15. I, maybe 16. That would maybe. be like a good number of meteors. Then you arrive at the planet to rescue the beasties who are shooting at you. Well, they're not shooting at you. The planetary defense system, which they may not be in charge of. That's true. It, it might be like these are protected areas. Yeah. Like uh, like a zoo. Like a zoo. 
<laughs> where they're shooting lasers at yeah. the visitors. Okay, but not like a zoo, like a what? What do you a call a game preserve? Like Antarctica. Okay, right. Like where if, they keep the UFOs. Well, yeah. And if you try to go, have you ever tried to go on boat to? I've never successfully shoot. been able to. I know because they shoot you with lasers. <laughs> <laughs> so you rescue. So the second part of the game is you're rescuing the beasties. Yeah. Yes. That's right. And I, I remember. Oh, yeah. And until I reread the the rule book this past week, I thought we were the cleverest people in the world for calling them beasties. Oh. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's what we call them. We're so smart. We call them beasties. Yeah. But it's right there yeah, in, the, the, words in the manual. Right there in the manual. Yeah, they're not yeah. creatures. They're not aliens. They're beasties. Yeah, beasties. Well, I think they're all three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this game is unusual in that you don't have lives. You have an energy bar, mm -hmm. which apparently is 40 units. units. Yes. And every time you shoot, it uses up one of your units. Yep. And every time you successfully hit a meteor or comet, you gain one unit yeah. in this first phase yeah so it's an interesting balancing act you would be tempted to just keep shooting in a circle and, all around and you and that's what my boys were doing and ah. that's what they do like for the for the first like they don't make it very far in the game but yeah. that's what they often seem to be doing is like oh, i'm just shooting all over the place or maybe they're just a little bit you know jiggly all over the place with a joystick can i say that <laughs> yeah you could okay. say you could say jiggly all over the place <laughs> with the joystick you know they're little boys not used to using joysticks as opposed to game pads. Why are you laughing? Because this is reminding me of how you managed to say pee-pee breath in our very first episode. <laughs> After I went to Great Lakes to avoid saying that word, you still, <laughs> you still said it. Right, and the second stage... Finally, we're getting to the second stage. Yeah. You're lowering your little landing craft down yep. with the tractor beam. Yep. The tractor beam is really fun to use. It is. And. It's like an instant beam from your ship to the surface of the planet. Yeah. And if the beastie is in the beam, he starts coming on up into That's your right. little ship. But they're extremely wiggly little beasties. And sometimes they just do not want to be snagged. They do not cooperate. They run away. Well, they just change directions. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So uh, you can go down very close to the surface of the planet, yeah. hover right over top of where the beasties are, zap them with the tractor beam, and they're up into your little ship in a second or so. Yeah. Or you can stay way up at the top yeah. and beam them from way up high, and you just got to wait like five or six seconds or whatever for them to come all the way up. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. So, and in the energy there, I think you, if you come back with the beasties, mm. then you regain some energy. Yeah, that's right. You're talking about... It not being a life, a life-based yeah. game, but a energy-based game. Yeah. I think I read that if you um, get both beasties in one go at one shot on the planet, then it just tops you all the way back up. You get full. You yeah. Get full, yeah. 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 And, uh, and you the... don't have unlimited time on the planet to get the beasties either. No. After a short time, uh, these klaxons start sounding, mm -hmm. and the ends of your mothership that's floating, that's orbiting above the arc the arc uh starts going gronk 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 and you gotta get back because you know there's you a meteor coming you didn't leave any crew behind to work the guns up there <laughs> no it's just filled with beasties <laughs> yeah <laughs> they don't know how to shoot <laughs> um so you gotta get get back up there and shoot away that one meteor so basically the same gameplay that happens on the first section does happen in the section second section yeah 
Uh, but of course, the meteor only comes from left or right, maybe from and up. From up, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get on, and you lose quite a bit of energy, like a quarter of all your energy, if you do get hit. Yes. By yeah, a I, I think you lose you lose ten units. Ten units. Yes. yes. Well, then that is a quarter if when you you're full. All the way topped up. When you're yep. full. Meteors, planet to suck up the aliens. Meteors, and then try to suck up those aliens. Yeah. You get both of the aliens. You go to a different planet. The planet is a different color, and you got two planets with this alien, two planets with the next alien, and like you were talking about earlier, how many different aliens are there? How many different aliens are there, Robin? We believe there are seven. Seven different aliens. I wonder if there really are eight different aliens, but by the time you get to seven, it's basically impossible to yes. progress. Yeah, so... We've come up with names for the aliens because they, yes. are, they are not named in the manual. No. Uh, so the very first one. They look like those lowercase g's. Yeah, they look like a pixelated lowercase g kind of. Bouncing around. Bouncing around. Yeah, so that's on planets one and two. Yeah. Planets three and four have these little bipedal aliens with this T-shaped head kind of thing yeah. and we always thought they looked like et when yeah. we were kids to me they look a lot like et yeah so we yeah. called them the ets yeah and, absolutely but they were much more bipedal and they run like et never ran well in the in that they're not running like gorillas they're stepping high stepping all over the place high stepping there's yeah. those high stepping ets <laughs> planets five and six feature not only do they feature the planetary defense systems that will zap you at the lowest level, so don't hang out on the lowest level because they're going to zap you. There's a yep. pro tip for you kids playing Cosmic yes. Arc. Um, but the alien, the beastie, is the wiener dog. Those wiener dogs, we love them. Yeah, my son, uh, who had the birthday today, he said, oh, look, they're lions. I said, son, <laughs> those are clearly wiener dogs. <laughs> it's, it's nice that he saw something more majestic. The majestic wiener dog. No, no, he saw the oh, yes. lions. And I see the... You see the majestic wiener dog. Do you see wiener dogs? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally Yeah, I've always dogs. said they're wiener dogs. All right, and then do you want to tell us about some? Well, I'm trying to remember. Is it the robots next? No, it's the bouncing Tyrannosaurus oh, Rexes. Oh, yeah. yeah, so it's the Tyrannosaurus Rexes with no legs and <laughs> or no... arms. Or arms. It's basically they... a T-Rex head with a spine and a tail, and it bounces on the tail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we call them anyway. Yep. Maybe it's kind of like a Q as opposed to the G, but yes. I always thought they looked like bouncing T-Rexes. Yeah, I think they look like that too. Uh, levels 9 and 10, this is as far as I can get. I haven't got past level... Uh, well, I've got past level 9. I've got to yeah. planet 10 this afternoon. The red bat planet. Okay, so the, yeah, it's, it's bats for 9 and 10. Bats for 9 and 10, and yeah. the planet number 10 is a red one. I know that. I've got a picture of it. I can prove that I've been to planet 10. Yes. But I've not made it past planet 10. You have. Sure have. And next is finally those robots. The probe droids. Yeah. 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 So they, they're they these rotating looking. Um, yeah. They look a bit to me like the android robot. Like the, from the android, uh, the operating system. Oh, okay, yeah, because of the head shape type. Yeah, thing. the the dome oh, yeah, kind of head yeah, shape. Sure, yeah, but but they are rotate. Darren thinks they look. I think they kind of look like the the probe robot or from the probe droid from, from Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back. Yeah. yeah, and 
and I will not argue that, but uh, they remind me of something a little different. You've probably seen them a lot more than I have. <laughs> I don't know. And so past that. Yeah, so that's uh, planets 11 and 12. 12. Planets 13 and 14 feature. The Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only seen the Pac-Man in video. Yeah, and I've got, I think, just to the first Pac-Man, but I have never... Good job. Like, in this this decade? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Like, oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, last time I was in fighting shape there. Yeah? Yeah, with it. Yeah. Because I only played the one game i i lent darren my atari the week before the podcast so i actually didn't play mm. uh which is totally okay yeah it's actually not my only atari but it's the one that i had set convenient. up it was convenient yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't take the time to to dig out everything else to get another one set up i probably only sat down to play with the atari maybe three times this week yeah. and and so today this afternoon before the birthday party i had about an hour my boy was just playing on his, on one of my old phones, and I was cosmic arcing it up, and I got my high score. I got uh, twelve thousand eight hundred and fifty or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, that that was that was. I think that's probably my highest score ever. Yeah, I, I think I've gotten into the fifteen. That like to see Pac Man. I yeah. think you have to hit about fifteen thousand. I would imagine. Yeah. So I found myself. Like, I was going for the score because we were playing for the score on Monday and I wanted to get a good score. But at the same time, I want to see what aliens come on. So you were talking about, like, how to progress in the game. And, and we were talking when we were talking about Donkey Kong, you know, do you go for the level? Do you go for the score? Do you try to get farther than you have so that you can see the new screens? Yes. So the element of progression in Cosmic Arc is, yeah, I want to get a good score, but I think even as a kid... I wanted to see more aliens. I wanted yeah. to get further along in the planets. Yeah, that that was my primary goal as well. Not to get the high score. We decided we were comparing high scores mm-hmm. uh, on Monday night. But when I'm just playing on my own, typically it's not the high score I'm going for. Unless it's a game where I know I've seen everything, like right. Space Invaders yeah. or like Le Mans on the Commodore 64 or an yeah. old racing game I yeah. love, yeah. then it's purely about the score. Yes. Yeah. I think we might even have some audio of us playing Cosmic Arc for Monday night, so maybe we'll slide that in yeah, here. Yeah, we, we might put that in. Woohoo! Okay, so Darren, describe what's happening here. Okay, so Robin is the big arc in the center of the screen. There's meteorites coming at him from all sides, and he has to push the joystick button to shoot. Now he's on the planet, picking up the little snake guys and his mini saucer with the tractor beam back into the bottom of the arc and out into space, because there's meteorites coming that he has to shoot up, down, left, right, racking up the score, back to the planet for more little bouncy snakey guys. But this time, there are lasers on up and downy things, and Robin is going to try to avoid the lasers. Does it eventually, if you take too much time, does a... A warning and asteroids coming towards you. you. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. gotta get up and then here it comes and boop, save yourself. Planet number Here's the ETs. Planet, yeah, is this planet number three or this the this second is trip to planet second, number, or the first trip, no, this to, first planet trip to planet number two? two I think. Yeah, second. Yes. So these little Oof. ETs, I remember thinking they were ETs too. Oh, oh, there's that clacks on got shot by the laser, there's the meteorite. Now they got one of the ETs there. So do you have to and go back there? Or no? yeah. yeah. 
And remember how every once in a while there'd be like that last one would be like that wiggly um, asteroid would come and it would go yeah. a little bit yeah. slower. Yeah. Ping! And you just kind of ping, knock it off. Yeah, there's one. Ding! Ding! It's very musical, those asteroids oh, yeah. coming. Well, it's a, just a nice signal. It's, ah, oh, this is the last one. I've done it. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, sometimes you try to corral them off to the side. Oh, he's getting greedy. Wow. How many lives do you have? It's just the one energy bar. Oh, right. Which, because I'm being pretty accurate with my shots yeah. in here. Like, you could just, like, ram yeah, that yeah, joystick yeah. all over the place, fire all around, and... Use up all of your energy. Do you get more energy for catching the aliens? Yeah, I think you do. And each See. time you shoot an asteroid-y thing... Oh, it goes back up. You right. get some. Right. So you can break even if you... Dogs! Want. Yes, the little wiener dogs. Wiener dogs. Oh! oh that's the first level that... Where it shoots down the bottom. Oh, you guys. Oh, no, he's going for it! Oh, oh shot! This is some cosmic arc excitement. Maybe you should be describing oh. a little bit more of what's happening, so then... Alright, so Rob is back on the surface. One wiener dog. First shot he... Oh, it just missed the Right on top of him. Tractor beamed him up. Now he's at some more asteroid 6,100 points. 62. Oh! oh. I got Smashed in space. But that's okay, he's got an extra arc. Cool. The little the little wiggly noises so, that you hear are wiggly asteroids. It's always so satisfying when you when you get it right at right at the end there. Or is this just another place on Wiener Dog Planet? It looks like the ice Wiener Dog Planet. Oh, oh he's gotta go good. back. Oh, oh, oh he got shot of the Wiener Dog and gets shot down a lot. <laughs> the magic made some really nice games. What else? Shiny boxes. So, Shiny, yeah. Like, and the cartridge? And silver the silver cartridge? cartridge? Oh, yeah. so these are the Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Yeah, these are the one-legged... One-legged... I think they bounce around on their tails, don't they? That was the oh. little T-Rexes bouncing on tails. That was, that was a good level. They had little they arms still didn't do it and time. little legs. Got them both. Robin got both T-Rexes on the single visit to the planet. Oh, oh, hits 9,000 points. Oh. And the energy bar is back up too. Yeah, I did well there. Oh, coin. Avoiding the lasers. That's a pretty snappy laser. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> he knew that he was just above the laser level. I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't and know I that. thought he was just traveling along. 10,000. 10,000. Woo, that was. Oh, oh, that looked like you had it. Yeah. You're doing well. This is like, I don't think that yeah, I, I, don't think I, I would do get much farther than this in my heyday. And I don't expect to get this far. Oh, the bats. I've seen the There's bats. the bats. Yep. I don't know that I can remember what might be. I don't remember. Oh. What oh, would be after the bats. Robin taking an unconventional uh, tractor beam approach from way up high in the atmosphere. It worked, though. It did work. We're back up. We only got one of the bats. Oh. Yeah, normally you like to go close to the planet's surface so you can... Whoa! Oh. Another... It was the joystick, wasn't it? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> oh! oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a 
You still got. You still got to do it. Oh, that nice. ding. Okay, you only need one bat here. Oh yeah, mid range, just plucked him right out of the yeah. ground. It's ground. <laughs> oh, oh no! All falling apart. No, he'll get twelve thousand. Oh, oh, I did. Eleven eight hundred and thirty, and the game ends with a little escape yeah, pod. Yeah, little escape away. pod. And just because we didn't mention it yet, the primary way or how Cosmic Art gets more difficult is that everything speeds up. Yep. The asteroids come at you faster in stage one. Yep. And stage two, the planetary defense systems get faster and faster. Yes. Now, if there's for me, yeah. like I'm so bad that I get tripped up by the meteor, by the meteors. They're coming too fast for me to, to, to blast them away. But it's not impossible to do. It's possible, just not for me. And I wanted to ask you, when you're in the zone and you're playing Cosmic Arc, the meteors, do you just stare at the center of the arc and just use your peripherals yeah. just to... Yeah, you have to. I think that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Is that you got to use your peripheral. Yeah. Yeah. And just do it. Yeah. But the folks who can, who've mastered the meteors and they can take the speed that the game throws the meteors at them. Yeah. The other thing that speeds up is the planetary defense system. Yes. So the up and down, I don't know that the up and down for those who don't know, we were talking about the lasers shooting yeah. across. So they're on these turret yeah. uh, things going up and down the sides of the screen. Yeah. And a laser shoots across the middle. And yeah, they, if you are at the same level as the turrets are, when it shoots, when it shoots then pop. It zaps you. Yeah. You tr- you, I like how you go boink. Yeah, you turn to it, this, it pops. You pop. You pop. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah, there's the little sparky things. Yeah. Just pop. Pop. So does the up and down of the turret speed up or is not, it just the frequency of the laser shot that I, speeds up? I would, I think it's just how often they shoot. They, they work in unison. They move up and down together. Yes. And the, the laser shoots a single line right across yes. between the two. There's um, a sending and a receiving turret. Yeah, I guess so. The laser. And, uh. I think they move at the same speed, but I'm not sure about that. But yeah, the firing speeds up and speeds up. Yeah. And Cosmic Arc seems to have one flaw mm-hmm. in that the speed up happens, it it reaches such a, a speed that I think is impossible. I think so too. We yeah. were we were looking at videos of like these of this guy who's doing really well at Cosmic yeah. Arc. And he was at the pac-man screen and it was basically firing that laser off every time and the way it works is when you when the arc shows up at the planet your little craft comes down yeah and there's a bit of a delay before the planetary defense system turrets start going and firing yeah so on the pac-man levels the guy can get down to the planet surface before the laser starts firing but it's going bam, 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 bam. And basically you're trapped under that laser. You cannot get back to the arc. And then the laser comes down and it gets you. Yeah. It kills you. Presumably. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's actually worked it out. If the velocity, like when you're moving up and if the laser's moving down, maybe time it just right. Maybe there is a pixel perfect way through, but we'd have to, prove that somehow yeah it seems that on the pac-man 
planets, it's not. Yeah. But if somebody told me that it existed, I would believe them. But if things continue to speed up like they have from previous yeah. levels, guaranteed the next set of planets, you wouldn't be able, it would be impossible to do anything yeah. on that. So, so that's why I wonder if Pac-Man is alien beastie number seven. I wonder if there really are eight, but they just programmed the difficulty wrong. Yeah. And, and you can't get to it. You just can't get to so it. So that, that would be neat to look at a, a disassembly yeah. uh, of the binary and like take the game apart and inspect it in hexadecimal mm. and see if there are other beasties in there. I'm not yeah. sure that this game has been given full attention. Now, this is a segue if, we, if we're done discussing the gameplay itself. Yeah. So the one part of Cosmic Arc that has been analyzed very deeply is the Starfield. Yeah. And we haven't talked about the Starfield no, the yet. the Starfield is... It's, and, and that's what's legendary about this game. And uh, according to Rob Fulop, the programmer and mm -hmm. designer of this game, uh, the only reason Cosmic Arc exists is because of that Starfield. Now, Rob Fulop uh, worked for Atari. We should, we'll make a little diversion here. Yeah. Uh, when Atari first started, they hired uh, a number of programmers to make games for their system. Yeah. They paid them a salary. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. Yeah. Uh, Rob Fulop, uh, in particular, uh, he programmed uh, Night Driver, which was a fairly big hit. And then he programmed the Atari 2600 version of Missile Command, yes. which was a very big seller. Yeah. And suddenly they're selling, I don't know about the numbers, but hundreds of thousands of units of these for ridiculous money, 50, and 60, 70 dollars. Not only are the programmers getting their flat salary, yeah. they're not getting any credit for the work yeah, that they're doing. That's right. So these guys are just being paid probably fine money mm -hmm. for that time, but they're making the company millions of dollars and they're not getting a cut and that's right. And they're not getting credited for it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't very long. Uh, it was a few years of this when a bunch of these programmers realized that, realized that they're getting the, the short end of the stick here. Yes. And they left Atari and started their own companies. David Cray and Bob Whitehead from Atari formed Activision yeah. and went on to program Pitfall yep. and a number of other. But Pitfall was huge. Yes. Um, so there was that. River Raid. Um, yeah. These are the games that you look at and you say, wow, the Atari's got actually really great graphics and fast, fun gameplay, yeah. smooth animation. And stuff act that we weren't seeing, like from the uh, the official Atari Yeah, stuff, the original the Atari part. games, yeah. yeah. And so uh, Activision made it a policy uh, that, you know, their programmers would share in the profits, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they would be credited. Their yeah. name would be in the manual or even right on the cartridge, on the cartridge label. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the second biggest, the second most successful company to spin off or not to spin off to kind of like leave and start yep. is Imagic. Yes. And they're the ones who made Cosmic Arc mm -hmm. and uh, Demon Attack and was Atlantis. a huge hit. Atlantis. Yeah. Talking about? Yep. It was Demon Attack that was a really big hit. Yeah. Uh, in particular, but yeah, they, they made other great games like Atlantis, Cosmic Arc, and so on. So one of the things that Rob Fulop did was one of the very first Easter eggs ever. Yeah. He had his initials, RF. Yep. 
Uh, <laughs> he hit his initials RF in the game, and if you did a certain set of... If, if you played the game a certain way, you could get the initials RF to appear on the screen. Yeah. Now, Atari hated the that kind of thing, mm-hmm. sneaking things like that in that would give credit to their programmers. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was one of many... This all added together to Rob starting, uh, co-founding Imagic. Mm-hmm. So, but there was intense competition between these different guys. Especially between Imagic and Activision. Yes, definitely. So while Rob Fulop was developing Missile Command, he noticed a strange bug where this kind of dancing, strange pattern appeared on the screen. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know. He programmed it, but he didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Basically, he discovered kind of a bug or uh, a strange behavior. A glitch, as the kids call it these days. Yeah, in the Atari 2600's display system. Yep. And it was kind of, it, it was strange, but he could reproduce it. Mm-hmm. That became the seed so of the Starfield mm-hmm. in Cosmic Arc. And the whole reason he made Cosmic Arc was because he wanted a vehicle to show off that strange effect. Yeah. And he did it competitively. He wanted to do something that David Crane and the other Activision programmers didn't know how to do. Yes. And he wanted to show off what he could do. So uh, I've got a story, uh, a online uh, like a website called digital press i believe did an interview with uh rob fullop yep and uh so i am going to be the voice of rob fullop i read this interview good and darren yeah you want me to be the interviewer nope you just listen okay sorry the competition between 2600 developers back in the day was out of control Sure, we were paid salaries, some of the lucky ones were even paid a modest royalty, but let there be no doubt, when we showed up at the June Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago, where Magic, Activision, and Atari rolled out their new game releases for the upcoming Christmas season, there was serious competition going on. Deadly serious. The pecking order was Activision, then Magic, with Atari holding up the rear. My former colleagues at Atari ran over to the Magic booth, where we smugly showed off Demon Attack, refusing to say one word about how the graphics were done. But as soon as they left, I remember running over, myself, to the Activision booth and seeing Pitfall for the first time and just getting sick over how crisp and clean the execution was and how much gameplay was squeezed into 4K of ROM. I was inconsolable for the remainder of the show, no joke, and the Activision guys were so much more smug than we were. Here's how smug they were. David Crane never even bothered coming over to see the Imagic stuff, which really annoyed me. None of them came by, actually. Whitehead, Miller, Kaplan. Not one of them ever came by. If I wanted to chat with them, since we had all worked together at Atari, I'd have to go over to the Activision booth and ooh and ah over Pitfall a few more times. Seriously, I mean, weren't these guys even curious about what they had, we had done in Magic? Like, Crane can't even be bothered to come by and take a little look? It was totally about one-upsmanship in those days. Nothing to do with money, not from my perspective anyway. I vowed to myself that the next time Magic was at this show, next year, 
that I would show people something so cool on the VCS that even David Crane himself would have no choice but to come to our booth and check it out. And then he would start crying. That was my goal, to show Crane something so cool that he would have no choice but to start crying because he didn't know how I did it. And that is how the Starfield from Cosmic Arc was born. In that moment of pure competitive resolve, the whole reason I made Cosmic Arc was to show Crane that Starfield and then offer him a tissue. The Starfield already existed, appeared one day from a total accident. A few years earlier, I was stumbling through making the kernel for Missile Command and was trying to reposition the ball graphic over and over again for some reason. And I think maybe I put the wrong value in the wrong place at the wrong time, I don't know. All of a sudden, this cool Starfield just appeared on the screen like a magic trick. I had no clue why or what was going on. Nobody could figure it out, but seemed to be pretty replicable on any unit. Anyway, Cosmic Arc was made for the express reason to show off the Starfield trick to Crane and Whitehead, no other reason. And one year later, there was Cosmic Arc featured in the Magic booth at CES, and about two hours after the show opens, sure enough, Crane and Whitehead come strolling by, just as casual as they can be, dum da dum da dum da dum Obviously, they could not appear overly interested in Cosmic Arc, but it was just so obvious that it had tortured them. They walk up and down the aisle three times. It made me so happy. Finally, Crane just cannot take it anymore and comes over and ever so subtle chats me up. How you doing, Rob? Cosmic Arc looks great, blah, blah, blah. We make nice for a few minutes. I like the way you're using the play field for the stars there, Rob. Oh, I was so loving life at that moment. Can he be any more obvious in his attempt to probe how the star field was made? Of course, I said not one word other than... Oh yeah, it's the playfield, obviously. Truly a memorable moment in my young life. So yeah, make no mistake, the 2600 was always about who could show the coolest stuff and never about the money for me. Obviously, we knew that the coolest stuff would usually get the most money anyway at the end of the day, but our motivation was to blow each other away, plain and simple. That is a great story. <laughs> so, uh, did... did is there anything I need to explain? I, I understand a bit more of this terminology. But no, it makes total sense yeah. to me too. I think the only thing that maybe you would want to explain is the difference between the play field and the ball object. Yeah. That being that the play field is usually what is used to render the background graphics. Yeah. And you would, maybe you would think as David was perhaps thinking <laughs> that, oh, they're using the play field to make this star field yeah. when that wasn't the fact that's right. Yeah, the, the play field was a very simple uh, 40, actually it was only 20 uh, big ugly pixels, yeah. wide pixels on the left side of the screen, which you could either duplicate on the right side of the screen, reverse... Or you could attempt to change them on the fly as mm -hmm. the screen was being drawn. That's why in games like Pitfall, the trees are mirrored from left to right and right yeah. to left down the center and stuff like that. Or in like the tank game on, on Atari, it'll be like kind of like the four quadrants, but it's basically the maze is kind of being duplicated, flipped from left to right down the center. That's the play field. Yeah. So David is assuming that the play field was being yeah, used. Yeah, that he was somehow make, yeah. doing it. And no. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he should have known, but... But Rob, he wasn't letting it... <laughs> of course it's a play field. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. Something that we noticed when we were playing on Monday was the zero fuel bug. 
yeah, it, it that's right. You could call it a bug, but in a way it's a realistic thing. Yeah. That uh in explain co- explain what it looked like and then explain maybe what's happening. Yeah, so it's possible to get the game so that you are a sitting duck in space, basically. In the meteor level. Yeah, the arc. You're sitting there in the meteor level and an asteroid comes at you and you can't shoot it. Well, it's because you have zero energy. You can only shoot if you have at least one unit left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, it does leave... So. That only happens. So you can be playing, shoot, shoot, yeah. shoot, 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 shoot. Use your last energy, not hit a meteorite. Yeah, miss. And then, oh, here comes the meteorite from this other direction, but I can't shoot because I don't have any energy. Yeah. But what we noticed on Monday was a situation where if you have you miss or something, you get hit by the meteor, you explode. Yeah, with if you have ten energy left, get hit. It deducts the 10, you end up with zero, you respawn using the 10 energy, Yeah. but then you're just a sitting Then you duck. have zero, yeah. the meteor comes, you can't shoot, yeah. and you die again, <laughs> and the game is over. Yeah. So, yeah, you could look at it as a bug, but I, I find it just amusing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Something I didn't know about Cosmic Arc. Well, maybe I did know, but I was an only child, so I had no real desire to play and you know when my friends came over to play cosmic arc i didn't want to play with them i wanted them to watch me play <laughs> there is a two-player co-op version of cosmic arc yeah and so me and my youngest son were playing the two-player co-op version of it this week which was really good um he was having a hard time with the meteor level and so this is an interesting way of of having a two-player game Uh, especially back in the day or maybe like these rules just weren't as firmly established as we seem to think they're established now yeah so you play a two-player game one person controls the arc in space and the meteor shower business and the second player with another joystick controls the little craft landing craft beaming up the aliens on the planet part of the game now could you still shoot up above like you were setting up in orbit yeah were you able to still shoot? No, it was still my son's job. He still... When the when he was taking too long to rescue yeah. the beasties. Yeah, he yeah, had to get there. That would have been interesting if you could sit up there and shoot. I mean, it would have totally changed the game, yeah, right? Then yeah. you could be up there taking care of... Business. Business. <laughs> defending the ship while yep. the scout ship keeps doing its yeah, thing. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Something could be done with... Uh, a more advanced cosmic arc, like a, a sequel, yeah, where you could have a bit more of that kind of co-op yeah. uh, idea going on. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be kind of interesting. That'd be interesting yeah. for sure. Um, of course, my other son figured. Well, what should happen is that when you get to the planet, there should be two shuttlecrafts that come down to zap up little things because you're playing two-player. Yeah, oh, that could be interesting. It really change the game as well and make things easier. Yeah, and probably. There was no oh, oh, sprites left yeah, to it would, do that. Yeah, it wouldn't be possible to do, but, yeah. you know, he doesn't know these kinds of no. things. So he's, he's, this is what he was kind of expecting to happen. Um, and I, I presume I would have read the manual once and then just tucked it away forever. But there's the training modes um, where you can just practice the meteor showers all the time. There's the advanced meteor shower training mode where things are are super fast and maybe I just need to be doing that so that I can get past the red bat planet. (laughs) Um, And I didn't 
play around with it, but apparently one of the difficulties sets the width of the arc. Yeah, I think I'm aware of that. But yeah, that that makes sense. And that would make it a little more difficult. Yeah, especially on the already difficult uh, left and right meteors coming in from the side part of the game. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? No. The wibbly meteors that come in. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. And, And let's talk about the sound of the game, too. That meteor shower has a real, uh, it's almost like a musicality to it because there's different pitches. And the uh, the pitch rises, I think, my memory of it is the pitch rising every time just a little bit. So the intensity is building and building and building and building and building. Bing! Yes. On the second last one. Yeah. And then the last one comes and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a real sass. That bing is very satisfying. Oh, yeah. It's like relief, relief. when you hear the bing. Yeah. It's like, okay, I can do this. I made yeah. it to the bing. <laughs> a, a lot of Atari 2600 games have, even though the, it's very rare for Atari 2600 games to have music in yep. them, uh, especially while the game is playing, yep. uh, Smurf Rescue is one of the very few games that actually does play music while it's going just with um, standard Atari hardware because of yeah. course Pitfall 2 plays music. Yes. Pitfall 2 is pretty amazing and but it has a bonus chip inside yeah. of it that's like a coprocessor yeah. um to do some of these things. But that's right, to do a, a stock Atari with no uh nothing n- extra. Nothing special in the cartridge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you don't get music and Cosmic Arc doesn't have music that's but right. the sound. It's sort of like music arises from it because of the rhythm of yeah. the the shots. Yeah. Uh, and that ascending, and they're probably doing that trick. Have you ever noticed how you can do an infinite rising yes. sound? That's called a shepherd tone. Ooh, a shepherd tone. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't even have to look that up. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. No editing on that one. We didn't pause. Sometimes we pause it and go Google and come back, but uh, not on that one. Shepherd tones. Shepherd tones. Yeah, so it, it might have that kind yeah. of effect, eh? Yeah. yeah. It seems and like it's going up all the time, but maybe it's not. Yeah, I, th- I think it must be a Shepard effect because if there's more, can't you only do that for like one octave or something? Basically, you cycle the octave for that Shepard um, Yeah, tone? you can cycle the octave or cycle over two octaves or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that it's the Shepard tone. I think that if, if we're guessing that there's only a dozen or 16 meteors coming in that you've got enough space to just rise in pitch a little bit every time yeah uh but strange thing about the atari 2600 hardware is that it has very limited resolution that you can't just choose any old pitch you want yes and i heard about that on an interview i think with david crane talking about that and how they were very particular when they were doing music and tones that they would do it in certain keys or they would write the music in a certain way that they could actually get the right tones to make the nice chords and stuff like that and or to make the melody flow properly yeah as opposed to having some of those really awful awkward atari songs yeah yeah it's because basically you couldn't do a full scale Mm -hmm. or if there might be some a few scales that work but you can't get all 12 tones right okay yeah you just um because it's sort of like the the resolution is so poor that you'll go from like say you're on a C mm-hmm. there you'll overshoot you, you the can't D. Land, you can't land on a C sharp you, you might get like three quarters of the way there <laughs> or seven eight you know yeah. it's gonna be very sharp or flat yeah. 
Uh, certain keys work okay if you do a limited scale. So yep. that's what he was talking about. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, um, just mentioned it really quickly. Most of the asteroids just come straight at you. Then there's the red wibbly. Yeah, we call them the wibblers. Yeah, they wiggle back and forth and they make the little yeah. as they come in. And it's like, I think they're a little bit slower, but they always freak you out. It's yeah. like, what's going on here? So you end up taking longer to shoot at it anyway. Yeah. And one amazing thing about like both Pitfall, if, if I was going to choose another favorite game, yep. Pitfall would certainly be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cosmic Arc, uh, well, Rob Fulop mentioned how amazing Pitfall was about how much they crammed into a tiny 4K. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if, if any of our listeners don't know what a kilobyte is, that's 1,024 bytes, about 1,000 bytes. Yep. And one byte is like one letter. If yeah. you're writing an email to somebody or a text, uh, you might write 500 characters, and yeah. that would be 500 bytes. Yep. Um, so the whole game had to fit into only 4,000 bytes. Everything about the graphics, the sound, all the, the programming. Yep. Yeah, amazing what they squeezed in there. So that's what made Pitfall so amazing. 256 screens in 4K. With all that stuff that seems mathematically impossible yeah it's it's incredible yeah. so um but he's using that with uh, something called linear feedback shift registers lfsrs we don't have to get into all that <laughs> even though i would uh but cosmic arc that sense of progression basically each planet mm-hmm. would have a couple new colors yep so you can describe a color in one or two with two bytes yep or two colors yep and each new alien Take a guess at how many bytes an alien would be. Um, one, two, three, maybe five bytes, I maybe would, eight. I would guess eight or ten. Yeah. Because I think they're a little taller than they are wide. Yeah. I'm not sure of that. Yeah. But yeah, basically they're eight pixels wide, which is one byte. Yeah. And then they're probably eight to ten bytes tall. I bet, I bet you they're not ten. No. Nah. Okay. Yeah, eight by eight. Yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. So about eight, ten bytes per world. I like how you're asking me to guess. Yeah, and then, and then I'm you. just stating, no, no, you're wrong. My <laughs> guess is right. <laughs> I'm the graphics guy. I you, know these things. You are the graphics guy. I can picture them in my um, head. So basically, they're able to do those fourteen different worlds. Yeah. At about ten bytes each. Yeah. While of course the aliens are shared. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, maybe four, ten, fifteen, uh, twelve, twelve bytes for every two worlds. Yeah, yeah. multiply by seven or eight. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, hundred bytes. You've described sixteen worlds or that's right, fourteen worlds. Yeah, okay, blah blah blah. Uh, that's neat. You know, and and something. Here's something else to get us away from this discussion. Yes. I like Stop this kind of stuff. Talking about it. I just assumed as a kid, like Cosmic Arc was a great game. And I don't know if I thought I just lucked out in getting a good one, but I presumed kind of that there were lots and lots of these great games out there, but there really weren't like lots and lots. Cosmic Arc really is a gem of a game. And, you know, just thinking, oh yeah, there there could be another there should be other great stuff just as quality as this out there. Just not knowing that, you know, I, we really had a really fantastic game to play when we had Cosmic Arc. Yeah. It, now, 
I don't think it's very appreciated at large. You and I think it's one of the best Atari games there is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at large, like I, I found, I stumbled on a review of it uh, today, mm-hmm. and they gave it like a 7 out of 10, and they're complaining about some kind of weird stuff. Really? Like, was it a modern review or a yeah, review it, from it, in the day? It was a 2000s review. So, okay. you know, yeah. like it, it was certainly a retro review, but yep. now. 10, 15 years in our past. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was on that digital press as well. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to like refute everything they complained about in the review, but it's interesting that isn't a universally loved Hmm. game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we think it's fantastic. Um, Let's just briefly discuss. I've got a boxed complete copy. I thought you were about to tell me that you have a poster of that wouldn't Whoa. that be fantastic is there a poster i don't know if yeah. there is but i want one yeah i want that so darren describe so the box is fantastic it's yeah. shiny and yeah. silver and then it's got these rainbow bands across it and it's cosmic arc in this nice font on the top with the magic above it and a little description and in the middle of the box taking up about two-thirds of the box is this great painting of this massive spaceship, this disc spaceship, but it, it kind of looks like Bespin Cloud City from Empire Strikes yeah. Back, but with all these chunky, blocky things on it. Yeah, and it, you know, there's the, there's the, what's that thing called? Uh, like a, a a nebula type thing up behind it, and then coming out of the bottom is like the tractor beam yeah. <laughs> and the mini spaceship going down to the planet surface there. Yeah. Fantastic artwork. Yeah. yeah that would make a great poster yeah. for a man cave. Yeah. I, I would absolutely love a poster of that. How do we get that done? <laughs> I wonder where we could find a source uh, yeah. of it that would look, that would blow up well. Eh? Oh yeah. Yeah. And on the back, uh, there actually are some real screenshots, which was kind of a somewhat unusual yeah. back then. I remember uh, I looked up a couple commercials on youtube for it yeah oh is it commercials yeah commercials for it but oh looking in the um instruction booklet they don't use screenshots in the instruction book but they draw things yes. that are close in some cases more chunky the beastie was hilarious yeah. in the in the manual he yeah the just... sizes are a bit off yeah and uh, the scale yeah. is wrong oh yeah you know what i'm wrong that... are those not screenshots are those drawings yeah you know what that one is at least the one of landing on the planet actually is that illustration. So, you know, it is eh? yeah. Yeah. Duh. There you go. <laughs> I was holding it out. Oh to yeah. And of course the, cause why would there be a meteor coming down as you're beaming somebody up? And yeah. then on the meteor level on the left, you got meteors coming from the left, right and top at the same, <laughs> at the same time. time. You're not going to be able to defend yourself. <laughs> is the star field there? Uh, just little dots. Okay. It's not the cool dancing. Yeah. Starfield. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, all the Imagic games had this super cool, shiny stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what? I remember when I was going to go buy my VIC-20 yeah. at Target in Duluth, Minnesota in March 1984. Yeah. Uh, I was going to buy the VIC-20 and then my parents said, you should buy a Commodore 64. And they were yeah. right. And yes, I've written songs about yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. There was a display. While I, I had my mindset on VIC-20, yeah. so it was hard to adjust to the C64, even though it was so much better. Yeah. Anyway. But I was still, like, regretting 
there was a whole bunch of magic cartridges yeah. on this beautiful display, yeah. including even the game Fireman, which was another magic one. Okay. This is burned in my mind. I was having, like, here I am about to buy my own computer, and then I end up even buying a better computer, and I'm still drawn to these magic games. Yeah. Right at the same time, I'm still having, like, coveting, yeah. uh, I want... Atari 2600 games while I'm getting a Commodore 64 which yeah. is vastly better. Anyway, there was um, something to say about that box art. Say. That, that's how good that box art was that I was still thinking, you know what, mom and dad, what I really want to do is buy all the magic cartridges <laughs> with my money. I don't want that computer after all. You don't even have an Atari, son. <laughs> yeah, I'll go over to, to Darren's house and, and he'll play them for me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the packaging was, was really beautiful from a magic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're almost there. Uh, I do want to mention, you, you were talking about you being the graphics guy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember something to do with graphics and Cosmic Arc? Uh, yes. What? Are, are we talking about what? the thing that we were talking about this week? Well, about you and graphics and Cosmic Arc. Yes, oh. I've, I've done a couple Cosmic Arc things for you. In tell the me, past. Tell me of a couple of them. Tell me. Well, you've made a couple ports of Cosmic Arc. Yeah. And I think I did graphics for one of them. Yeah, I, I just don't remember more than one. But was there more than one? Didn't you do one on the TI? Yeah. So the TI-86 calculator. Yeah. Uh, people don't know this, but some of those old TI graphing calculators, not even old ones, so they still yeah. sell them for like 100 bucks yeah. and sell them in stores. They have a, a Z80 or Z80. Which is the same thing that processor. was used in like Donkey Kong and yeah. lots of arcade games and the it's, Spectrum. and Yeah. It's a classic 8-bit computer. And the only real other competitor is the 6502. Mm-hmm. That was in the Atari 2600. Yep. The NES, the Commodore 64, the yep. Apple II. Yep. Okay. So th- when you buy a TI-84 Plus calculator... You are essentially buying an 8-bit computer Mm -hmm. that can actually run programs. uh, And some of the models, you can run assembly, like actual games on them. So anyway, back in the 2000s, I got myself a TI-86 and started making a game for it. Darren drew the ARC for me, Mm -hmm. and that is still available. If you search Cosmic ARC ti-86 mm-hmm. you can see a little on google yep you'll see a little screenshot the other cosmic art graphic-y thing that i did for you yeah um you know we were talking about the the legendary lie of returning to earth <laughs> oh yes yes <laughs> so to perpetu- perpetuate the hoax yeah uh so for a while i was trying to make that album place without a computer i was talking about uh has 11 songs i had in mind i was going to make a video for every song mm-hmm. and kind of recreate the 80s it turned out to be a lot of work and a lot of trouble and sometimes it's hard to get the momentum when you're trying to get other people to do things anyway darren made me a fake atari 2600 cosmic arc clip where like i think he took screenshots from yep. the actual game yep. and pieced it together into an animation and made the return to Earth scene with all the people, with the people kind of waving. dancing, waving <laughs> down below. Yeah, it's really cool. So that makes so sure. if you ever run across 
the lost ending of Cosmic Arc on YouTube or something, don't spoil it for us. We're trying to perpetuate the hoax. Yeah. <laughs> Just go along with it we, and then let us know. Yeah, it may show up on YouTube at some point. <laughs> Before we close off the show tonight, Robin, it was just a coincidence. You thought that you were going to do three Atari video games tonight. I thought that I was going to do three Choose Your Own Adventure books tonight. We wisely decided to pick one each. Yes. (laughs) And what serendipity that we chose Cosmic Arc and Inside UFO 5440, both game and book about a spaceship coming down to a planet abducting abducting a life form yeah the parallels could not be planned yeah it's it's hilarious and i i didn't realize that for i don't know until just a few days ago i think yeah i i think this afternoon or yesterday when i posted a picture of both of them together i think this afternoon i realized the parallels of what we were doing today yeah yeah, it's that's so, really neat. So it's funny. So that's something that really was so prominent in the 80s. Um, I guess Close Encounters of the yep. Third Kind. and I was at Devil's Tower a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, you did go. Yeah, so I got pictures, me and the family there. Right it on. was really cool. Yeah. I was telling my kids, oh, that that's, you, you, you've heard of dinosaurs, right? Well, a giant dinosaur beaver chopped down a giant dinosaur tree here and this is the petrified dinosaur stump of the tree right on my children are too smart to believe their old dad oh <laughs> you know that's a big movement going on right that that all those buttes and stuff like that are remains from the ancient giant forest oh i didn't know that that's like a total conspiracy thing going on now With giant beavers and everything not the giant beaver part <laughs> Okay. But giant trees and giants, giant people, why not giant beavers too? That's right. I just haven't heard somebody say that part So yet. much for a succinct ending this on this episode. This is not episode. succinct. I guess I'm just making you aware that that whole idea of those being tree stumps yeah. is a popular idea okay. right now, or like a, a popular conspiracy. Well, Devil's Tower would be a giant tree unsurpassed in size it several magnitudes probably bigger than most of these other giant trees but i guess the conspiracy theorists have got it all figured out and i'm sure i could figure i could i could find out what they think yeah you you certainly could if you want okay So thank you for listening to our memories of growing up 80s. We would invite you to visit our website at thecouch.website. You can uh, find other episodes plus other podcasts that Robin and I do there. Show notes. You can leave comments and get in touch with us there. If you're on the Twitter, you can find me at Darren the Folds. And Bedford Level Experiment. Next time, we are going to be looking at two different 80s topics that we enjoyed as children and we still enjoy now. Robin, what are you going to pick? I think I'm going to talk about Commodore 64, but particularly the user's guide 
the blue book that was packed yeah. in with every Commodore 64. Robin, I am going to pick the Ghostbusters soundtrack Ooh, album. Oh, wow. That is a good one. We listen to that a lot. A ton. Yeah. So we hope that you will join us next time when we talk about Grown Up 80s. We welcome your feedback and even constructive criticism. We welcome it. If you have suggestions for show ideas or want to tell us about your memories of programming the Commodore 64 or the Ghostbusters soundtrack, get in touch with us. Yeah. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.